<laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, welcome to the third season of Bottom of the Bill. We got our friend. Uh, well, before we even get into that, we got ma- third season. Third season. What were the first two about? Uh, just a lot of different things, mostly music related. This sounds like a very like one-sided decision. That this is a third season. Yeah, I didn't even know it was. In we a took a, we season. took a break for a while, then we came back. We took a break for a while, then we came back. We took a break a lot of the times. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna start this over because this is a dumb part to have in the thing. We're not starting it over. Like, okay, so this is the third season. Yeah, it's the third so that's season. That's not gonna be confusing for anybody. Uh, and so <laughs> you guys might have noticed we made some upgrades. We got yeah. new cameras. <laughs> we got all kinds of different angles, a new setting. Uh, we're very excited about, so um, <laughs> we're going to continue to make upgrades as we go, so yeah. uh, you know, continue to tune into that, but our first guest of the season is our boy Trey Miller. Uh, Trey plays harmonica, banjo, he's a member of, uh, plays both those in- instruments with fire tire, or tire fire, sorry, I get my words fucked up today. It's okay, it's what you get when you rhyme your band name. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, his most recent endeavor is, uh, he was the author, is the author of the new book, The Grand Maestros, under the pen name J.T. Miller. Um, so, Trey, welcome to the show. Oh, man, thanks for having me. This is so cool. I can't, I'm so happy that you're here, bud. And yeah, it's a, it was a lovely drive. And uh, Where do you dr- live now? I live in Athens. Well, Athens, it's, it's okay. actually, and, and you won't believe this, but I actually live in a middle-of-nowhere town called Farmington. They have a town named Farmington, and it is exactly what you would expect. Nothing but farms. There's a post office and a lovely gift shop where the artists congregate. Um, I don't mind it. It's, um, you know, I spent my 20s traveling so much. Uh, most of my friends don't, you know, we're, we're spread all over the country, so there's not any one place I could go where I would I would be able to keep in touch with everybody I'd like to. So being isolated, I get this quiet place to come home and yeah. spend time with jesse and the dog and then hit the road again go go see the other family you know I'm sure it helps to have some kind of to live in that kind of atmosphere where you can allow i guess less intervention for your creative freedom right like you don't have as much noise going on oh, well i, I think i like that and you know i'm not gonna say i don't derive inspiration from the hustle and bustle of sure. the city you know but i um what it really is is it's like this the isolation gives me the chance to fall into um, just huge creative cycles where I can sit for uh, you know you know the the weeks on end necessary to write like it's your job you know right I, I um, cranked out two books in the in the last uh, well it it was really over about two years and then over the last year I've been prepping and editing and doing everything to get ready for launching this first one uh, it's that's, been super cool that's amazing man so let's talk about the book a little bit yeah so um i uh boy i've been learning so much going through this i i authored it and um i intended to try to spend some time shopping it around and and and, and publish through a major distributor but um I wasn't having luck finding an agent. It's such a tedious process, and I didn't have any clout, you know. Um, right. But I, I've had the blessing of being a, a, a musical entertainer for the last decade, and I, I thought, well, maybe I, I know enough people. Um, let, let's try to shoot this shot. And I started a publishing company, and that is Spellsong Universe. So Spellsong Universe has published The Grand Maestros, which is the first book, in uh, the inaugural trilogy of the universe, the Spellsong Chronicles. 
so wild, man. It's, it. it's, Keep going, sorry. It's fun, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm so with it, man. That's, it's exactly how I feel. It, it brings out this childish part of me where, um, you know, it's got so much of what my imagination uh, uh, wants, like, like, like musical exchange as communication, as a means of, of driving culture, as a means of driving uh, uh, synesthesia and, 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 and just your, your general run-of-the-mill wizardry. And, 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 <laughs> run-of-the-mill wizardry. And we, we get to play with all of these things that, that, I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe uh, in, the, in the heights of your imagination you've wondered what your music is doing and and I tried to make that metaphor, that philosophy of the the music as magic. I, I tried to give it a home, and it started. Um, you know, I I didn't think I was gonna write a book. Everybody wants to write a book, right? Like uh, I I didn't think I was gonna write one. I just wanted to play D and D. I had uh, I had moved to to Georgia on a on a on a hope and a prayer to start tire fire and um things weren't going well uh and i didn't have very much i had uh, given up most of my property to to go on tour with my my band before that move and i i was as destitute as i had ever been and i i i didn't have a game console which is kind of my normal um how do i calm my brain down you know how do i trick myself into into thinking i'm being productive because i'm a little bit of a workaholic right yeah you, you yeah. have to be to finish huge project or or patient you know um so i um escape into your imagination i thought well i'm I'm gonna stop playing video games i'm gonna focus on making this band exist and let's instead let's write a D campaign i'd always wanted to do that and it'll be something social it's kind of like a game and i um i started writing it in my my iphone I want the sponsorship. I, I, I yeah. swear, I really did write the whole thing on my iPad. I, I, I hope I get to tell that story to Apple. I don't. I, um, I'm grateful that uh, I was able to use all of those services like Google Docs and um, and that stuff to make this Can happen. You wrote the whole thing like with your thumbs. Well, yeah. Initially, the sec <laughs> the second book, I had bought a computer, but I'm de I didn't have anything, man. Yeah, I feel I, it, uh, I had my phone. And I had the notepad in my phone, um, and I went to town, and we went on this trip to uh, to my friend OTG's place, and he's got this cabin that he built in the mountains where, I mean, he's got, like, a, a wood-burning generator and, like, uh, as many bees as you need to have as much honey as you want. I mean, he's got, he's got one of those inspiring little slices of heaven that, if you're lucky, you get invited to sometimes. There's, like, a thousand pinball machines in his basement, and, like... It's, it's, he's, he's, I'm so inspired by what he's chosen to do with what he's earned in this life. And being in that space, I just like, I started writing and I was drawing from everything around me. And this game outline I tried to make just kind of grabbed me and seized hold. And nobody could talk to me for like 72 hours. I was like, from the moment I woke up till I went to bed, I'm like, I think I got to get all this story out. Like, I, I think it's not stopping. And so now I call that experience the portal opening because for me, this writing this book, it was less creative and, and so much more journalistic. Like I go to this place and I'm just, I'm there. And I, I have my original outline for three books. It was like three days of writing and I ended up with 30 pages of concept of, of the coming of age cycle 
uh, a big conflict cycle, and then an extremely experimental third cycle that's going to be the completion of the trilogy. And um, I had all of that, and I'm just like, I'm looking at like this is crazy and and i would see it it was whenever i would reference this outline you know fast forward uh, a year later to when i actually start writing um i would reference this outline um and i would go there and i it was like the little minuscule things i would see them happen you know it wasn't like it was like hmm well what's happening over here and 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 I would look over there and I would see it and then I would just write it down and it was so easy to describe in that way. It was such a cool process. Um, but but it, it took me about a year to actually start writing. This was April of 2019 that I started. Um, wow. And Tire Fire was slow to begin. We didn't actually launch until august of that year um maybe later uh we 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 um put our first album out january of the next year but i was living in a hallway at the time um and eventually a shed it was i put myself (laughs) in a really rough position to be near the musicians i wanted to play with um uh yeah, it's, it is funny, right? I'm it's like that's not an upgrade. It, I guess it is. It, it's like it's a it's a room, but it's outside. No, it was it was uh, it was rough, man. It was I uh, I let myself really go to a, a a place where I had so little because I wanted tire fire to exist. I was like, I I followed this path of logic in my head where being doing whatever it took from leaving the place where I had my income and. Leaving my oh, oh, and I guess it's a it's a part of the story that um, you know I had a major theft right as this happened. All of my production gear was stolen, um, so I, I remember that I was unable to continue doing production the way that I had in the past. So um, there's there were so many factors, but boy, it was this like spiraling thing, and and my book became my way out, and I uh, then I then I set to drawing, and so we got this map here. Um, and I drew that, not that one. That one looks nice. I am like a child with a with a crayon. <laughs> yeah, I can't draw neither. Really. I, it's not my. Me- it, it was it was not my medium of expression. I have always I like when I try to paint that. Like I'll end up crying or something. I'll be like so like I can't get it out and I get a panicky and I'm just like ah, this sucks. Don't look at it. Ah. Yeah. But I made my I did my little drawings and. Then I put the dots on the map and made cities, and that started my world building. And for the next year, I wrote stories about the cities, and I, I drew pictures of the little animals that lived there. And I, I would call uh, Steve was like my my character generation uh, uh, sounding board. We would we would talk and. Steve Honig? Steve Honig. Motherfucker. Shout out. Hasn't yeah, said one man. word to me about this at all. He's going to be really excited that you're yeah, on this podcast. He, he, um, he is. He like he messaged me and was like, oh, wait, you're spo- you're, I'm, I'm not supposed to be messaging you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so we made these characters and wrote backstories for the characters. And then as I'm building this world, I, would, I had this binder, and I would show it to different musicians that I was playing with, and different ideas would pop up. Um, uh, different different people take interest in different ways, and so I showed my map to 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 the guys from Between Bluffs, a band out of St. Petersburg, uh, uh, Clearwater, um, the the Bay Area, um, and 
each of the each of the members of that band in their own way sort of stepped in and and added their two cents to the world. Uh, um, and Brad, their uh, keyboardist, um, took the time to take my map drawings and make them into something considerably more professional. <laughs> and so he just he and each of these little things along the way started to snowball, and it snowballed, and then uh, fast forward to the calamity that was like March 13th, 2020, um, tire fire had just launched and we'll, we'll talk more about uh, that in the later on, but, and, and the band, we were about to go on our second tour. We were selling CDs. We were, we couldn't keep merch in stock. And then, well, we all know what happened. Yeah. Uh, well aware. <laughs> so we tried and, the band was fighting and we were like trying to figure out our balance and you know, some people wanted to work. I was having a hard time. I had, I was feeling betrayed by my music career. You know, I was just like, you know, I had spent a decade building this thing. What, what for it to disappear overnight? Like what, how is this fair? And so I thought, well, man, I need something. I, I need something that's me. I need something that's, I can finish with, without, having to obligate people to jump on this crazy pirate ship with me and risk their lives and their futures. Cause that's what music was at that point. That's what it was being in a band. It was the riskiest business move any of us could have made. And I, I remember the point where I messaged our guitar player at the time. He was trying to get me to come record. And I was like, look, I just can't prioritize this right now. I have to prioritize the book. And I took that and I started writing and it was like, you know, 10 pages a day, 20 pages a day. It just started pouring out. And I would, um, if I'm being completely honest, like have like copious amounts of, of uh, hash gummies where like <laughs> it would yeah. help me stay focused. It's like, I, I think I must have some sort of undiagnosed attention deficit, whichever one, HD, D, you know. But I um, would experience just hyper focus and the ability to create and work for... 10 to 12 hours straight writing. Well, I wouldn't say that you have it only because uh, you'll get like halfway through a project if you have 80. 80 sure. And, and then you never touch it again. Right, that's right. Me all day. Oh, man, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't want to diminish the very real thing that, that uh, ADD is. I, I, I'm just um, messing around. Yeah, like, man. No, no, yeah, like, I, um, might have just been I can't the, believe I finished been the man. hash gummies, I think. Well, you know, the real thing that made me want to finish, I, I, uh, I have this wonderful life partner and she told me she wanted to read the book and you know there's nothing quite so motivating as the person you love telling yeah, you that. Do it. What, a, what a nice little nudge so i just i just was it. like yeah. well if she wants to read it i have to finish it damn since then i've actually i've got this whole side story that will be released via podcast and uh patreon in the future it's those short stories that are um, the backstory of our our sort of narrator character, um, uh, the the brother of the one of the protagonists, uh, Jobin uh, Eronimka is his name. It's um, by the way, it's it's banjo and harmonica. <laughs> I figured <laughs> that when I was reading. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, uh, cool. um, that's that's what it is for me. There. Uh, that's cool. Um, it's like what the hell is that. I was like, is it Middle Eastern or something? And I was like, it feels Middle everything Eastern, right? in this this book has something to do with music. I'm like, hang on. Uh, <laughs> I was doing like that meme with all the, the, the numbers and stuff. Oh, it's I'll beautiful. figure this out. I'll figure this out. That's awesome. 
Can't put full passive on me, man. So I've got side adventures with uh, that character who doesn't actually appear in the series uh, yet. Um, I've got side adventures that are love love letters that I write to Jessie um, that I'll release. Uh, eventually, she wants me to release them because it's a cool little side story that will neatly put um, characters where they're supposed to be in time for the third book. Um, mm. It's been cool, which kind of kind of segues into um, yeah, what the book's about. You were telling me like an elevator pitch about it. Like, what, what's the, what's the book? The, about? the elevator pitch. Oh, I love that. I love that line. So so. What do I say? It's it's a fantasy adventure where the magic and technology draws from the philosophy of music. Yeah. And so the culture, the religion, the the interactions, they all they, they borrow names from music theory and they uh, they they interrelate in ways that hopefully speaks to some of the metaphors that are being expressed with the uh, with what we're studying music theory. Because bec- the conundrum that I have uh, teaching and studying modality, for example, this all started when I was talking with Dennis Stadelman of Cope about modality. And he, he told me that in his, his way of looking at it is that he tries to think of the, the emotive aspect of the mode and think of the value that it creates in his mind. And so we were t- speaking of the Phrygian mode. And how it how it sort of has this almost deserty sort of sound to at least to my, to our Western ears, totally, you know, yeah. um, place, placing everything in its context. I by no means have a fully global perspective, but and 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 in my world, that's what it sounds like. And so, I set out to create a world where all of the places would be built from that. And some of it's just you know fun little playful references, like the uh, the one of the God machines is a Tower of Power. Um, which, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there's gonna come a point where where hopefully 12 year olds read this stuff, you know, hopefully people that are really at that point in their life where they're coming. That's how old I was when I started discovering Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. And I yeah, mean, it changed me, you know, yeah. it really helped me to see That's my favorite growing up. Right. I remember I dressed up as Ron Weasley for the midnight, uh, release of Goblet of Fire. That must've been fun. You can steal passes. You're like if, if if Ron Weasley and Carl Tuckerson had a kid. Who's that, who's that's, that's what you look who's like. Carl He's a really annoying commentator on Fox News. <laughs> he always has that like disturbed look of confusion. Like, you know. I'm proud oh, that I can't remember. Oh, what he looks I know like. who you're talking. He's, yeah. he's, he's the dude with the bow tie. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm him. You, him, and Ron Weasley. Uh, if they had like a like a child that wasn't like fully de- developed, if you know what I mean, that's what you look like. Anyways, I haven't said one new thing about <laughs> him yet. That's really yeah, like it's got to get this it out. Nice chemistry. It's yeah. really beautiful. No, it's great. <laughs> He's just like walking in. He has no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And I had to throw it out there. It was just, it was eating me alive. But that's that's kind of what I got out of it. And and granted, I've only read. I'll I'll tell you. I've only read that one track. I love that the chapters are tracks. That's my one of my very favorite cool, things. Yeah. I, I haven't got very far anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Sure. But uh, that's what I was thinking. Of how it starts out is is it's uh, like it's almost like a musical, not musical Harry Potter because that sounds like it's. It's gonna be like a sing songy. But literally, but literally, like they're like. Uh, uh, I guess it's like the beginning or whatever, so that they're in like a, a like a, uh, a music school, but it's also um, by playing instruments they like connect with these like god machines, and then it, it's like magic and everything. It's like a fantasy world. And I'm all about it. Fantasy, everything. Love Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, uh, Harry Potter. Well, I really see it as uh, you you know. Again, how can you not be impacted by uh, J.K. Rowling and J.R.R. Tolkien? Yeah. Um, 
exploring fantasy, I mean, uh, and and in the more science fantasy aspect, what George Lucas did is, it, you know, these these things echo, right? And and Dune for, with Frank Herbert. So these things echo into our inspirations. And so I, I really like what J.K. Rowling did because she, she put us on this adventure where we get to meet people. You know, we met Harry Potter when we were similar in age and we could grow up with him. And that was cool, but then the story ends. And, and on the flip side... The, um, the characters that we meet in Lord of the Rings, while they, they go on their own arcs, they're already developed. They're masters in their own rights, and they, they don't necessarily, you don't get to, you get to hear legends. You learn about who they were from, yeah. from flashback. And so what I'm really loving about what I was able to accomplish with this is we get to meet these characters, and we get to watch them come together in a, in a coming-of-age scholastic setting. And then we get to see them in the later books go out and enjoy and experience yeah, that exactly. world. I use the word enjoy loosely. You know, there's there's the 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 second book I, I released the title uh, um, in a in a Facebook post. Um, should I stick with it? The title is the Dorian War, and so that's a little bit of a um, tilt towards what's going to happen in book one as we as we develop this world. Dorian War. I yeah. Like that. yeah, it's dope. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I love the world. I mean, it's so unique, but then also just like sticks to that like super fantasy mm-hmm. tie mm-hmm. that I'm about it. And, and I'll just... say for somebody like me, because I'm not, I never was into fantasy growing up. No. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> but. What's there, your favorite but Star Wars? There's this <laughs> other aspect <laughs> that you've kind of integrated into it that piques my interest. You know what I mean? So I think it's. There's a lot there. This works on multiple levels. I hope know. so. You know, I want it to be a crossover in both ways. I, um, uh, it's like a secret, hopefully, it's a secret music lesson and not necessarily a lesson in practical scale theory or like, um, you know, go out and play this specific thing, but hopefully, it's a lesson in the philosophy of music. And, right. and, and, and in exploring it, somebody who's into music can find something that they can really resonate with. And, and somebody who's, who's intimidated by music can maybe see some of what goes on in our brains when we're thinking about what it's like being on stage or sharing sounds with one another. Right. Um, and, and I have a bit more of a fluid mindset. I mean, you guys are, are I, infinitely more technically proficient musicians than I am. So, so maybe I've developed this. One, ima- one of us is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you. I, I've long since, <laughs> I, I tell people that playing with side hustle as a harmonica player was like climbing a tree with this, the perfect number of branches. It's such oh, a, man, that's such it, a compliment. It was, it, it was a really cool experience. I'm not, I've never felt so supported. It was like so. digging the perfect hole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, cause I, I briefly, <laughs> I, I think I, I think we talked briefly about that night where you sat in with us. I, I backed up a harmonica player right. for like a year on the road. So oh yeah, of course. I, I've got like a when I like I know where sonically my space is at when What's there's the a harmonica name of that player band again? Up there. The Rock and Jake Band. It's a great band. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a that's like for especially if harmonicas, you know. It, they're a great show too. They're a lot of fun. I will say it's an under understudied instrument. And so people don't often know how to compliment it because usually the harmonica player that steps up onto the stage, um, who's not a part of the show, 
billing originally is not is uh, there's a spit of a stereotype that that guy sucks right <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, well, really? are you not familiar with that it's, no. a, it's, a, it's a huge story. i've only and, played with really good ones hey. Hey. <laughs> and isaac corbett good lord that guy he's, uh, he's, 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 he is my hero man he's so good he's amazing he's why i, I play banjo now so <laughs> <laughs> i'll say that rock and jake is also up there uh, at that level he's got like this very uh melodic and like he's the guy that like learned a lot of jazz heads yeah you know I mean? see that approach is so cool and he's got Wait, he's, you can play harmonica jazz or jazz oh, see, how theoretically you, from... you could play chromatically on a single harmonica what, you, know, how? You, you would just have to have uh well there's 12 positions mm-hmm. um each oh, really? each in the key and um if you can bend uh you get a full spread of 40 notes yeah. just about uh, and it and it's like you know, 40, God, 40 to 45, hard. depending on your precision. And so I get, yeah, I, um, the, the, there's certain bends that have three notes in them, like the, the flat note, the note that's normal. And then you bend it a little to get to the half step step. And then there's a whole step. God, it's going to be so hard. It is. And then <laughs> like, like jump like, around in jazz and like that and now, everything. Have you, well, they also make chromatic harmonicas as well. I was about to say, Those is it cool. like this yeah. big? Like, the chroma- <laughs> like the chroma- a Subway they're big, sandwich? Yeah, they're, no. they're much bigger. Um, have, it uh, is. Oh, wow. Uh, Chris, joking. <laughs> Chris, it's, it's Howard uh, Levy, right? From, uh, from Bella Fleck. Yeah. Um, oh, he's really? the man. Yeah, a fucking amazing, and that dude shreds bebop on like on on a chromatic heart. I gotta see. I was joking. I of course. I anytime anytime I joke about jazz, it's like no, that's a fucking thing, and you're an idiot for not knowing. Yeah, that is <laughs> every, true. Though, yeah. It gets time. absurd. There's this band called the Harmonicats that have a harmonica that's the bass harmonica that that's the size that of a. Name's too easy. It's the size <laughs> of a. Too easy. But they're from the '40s, so okay, like. All right, all right, all right. So that's they're like, pass. and they have a harmonica the size of a child that like. like <laughs> And it's bass stuff. It's super cool. That's, That's excessive. Awesome. I feel like I I'm not drawn. <laughs> they dress up like a mariachi band. It's a it's no, a, I want to see. It. I'm just it's an aesthetic. Around. I just um I never got into. I like using the chromatic harps and the double double harps for like uh, impersonating zydeco and stuff like that. But uh, the dilemma that I have as a harmonica player is that I can't get the same bends and overblows on a chromatic harp. Right. So I've always stuck with the diatonic style. You know, your ten holes. Uh, it's in- a whole different approach. You you also have that little that little thing, lever, right. lever on the side. Mm-hmm. That you have to con- if you want to get like your sharps and flats, you have to hit this lever here. Yeah, and because you- that's what I always thought is that with harmonicas, you you just have a harmonica for every key, right? Right, and so that um, you should and that, that would be a full set, it'll and be then but but you way. could theoretically play chromatically on just your regular C harp, like like somebody yeah, of John like John Popper's song. skill level yeah. wouldn't wouldn't need that. God, but that's ridiculous. Um, you know, I've I've learned that uh, uh, Jeff Hoff um, from Firewater, Firewater Tent Revival yeah. taught Shout me a little out. bit about um, oh, yeah. playing in third position, or like it was like a there. There's just so many different approaches tonically, and it's. It's like, uh, again, the, the harmonica was, was my first musician I got into, or mu- instrument I got into as an adult. Um, I played piano as a kid, but it, it didn't stick with me. Uh, harmonica was how I learned key theory, and so studying modality on a harmonica was what? so strange. Yeah, and, it does. And you like, can't get out of that brain. key. <laughs> right. Well, and, but you, you still, you have, um, you have different... different um, tonic expressions and right. and and stuff though so it's like you end up <laughs> learning to play somewhat in every key on this one key instrument and it 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 was difficult yeah i'm just thinking about it like i'm playing what in like a dorian 
what harmonica would you use? So for that, yeah, you yeah. would need so the D or C. So if it was A, Dorian, no, you would just need a one up, um, right? Uh, so it would be B harmonica, a right? B harmonica, okay. I, I typically or, know no, it, it would G. be one back. I'm sorry, a G harmonica because the second <coughs> position of the scale would then be A, right? Right. So yeah, you would use the G harmonica and then play the G major scale. That's but, right. But yeah. starting oh, on... I have a question for you. Do you typically nice. modality? Do, do... I was thinking like E minor, but it's like they don't have E minor. Harmonica. They do. I thought it was yeah, just like do. it's just like the. They it's all the I don't like minor. They do have and, minor harmonicas, yeah. but really? they're they're cheating. I don't. I mean, yeah. they're all the same. It's well, like it, oh, whatever. No, they relative. They read them differently. Yeah. And it's all. So if so, if someone's playing in G, do you use a G harp? Because as I understand it, you would use the fourth up. So if you're if the band's in G, the harmonica player would be using a C harp. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, that's again, that's typical. total situational. So yeah. Bob, this is this is something that comes up in my life all the time because everybody's like, oh, Bob Dylan harmonica, and Bob was like famous for this really scratchy straight harp style where if you were in the key of G, Bob would play a G harp. And you get a nice um, major scale. It's it's all laid out there in the center of the harp, and you get some wonky notes that uh, sound really harsh. Um, and that has characterized a lot of American folk harmonica playing. Right. Um, then the blues harmonica is typically played in the second position, which is that one that you're talking about where you're playing to the fourth. Okay. Um, and then... As we go on from there, there's third, fourth, so on and so forth, and I'm I'm not as schooled in those as a a, a career harmonica player should be, um, but eventually I stop thinking about the position and just start thinking about the interval relationship and tonal relationships. You right. Know? So, but that I you know that's once you've learned what works and what doesn't, you know. Um, that's interesting. So like you know, the the go to is to play a mixolydian. Uh, tonality every time that you do it, right? Because you get that real dominant, like, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. And so, it's, I cut some blues, that makes sense. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Anybody else who's watching, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not have any clue, but yeah, we're getting um, a little, we're getting a little uh, nerdy, a little nerdy. Well, going uh, from uh, fantasy want... <laughs> into music theory. So, it's always a great fucking idea. I, I actually do want to get back to the book. That's what quick. my book's about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course, literally. All right, so yeah, we're on fucking... <laughs> I can't even talk right We're on Sorry. point. Yeah, yeah we're on so point. That's what I meant. I want to go back to the book real quick because uh, before we get into the music, we have a new segment that we're going to uh, get to in a minute. But I want to ask you about some, some of the learning curves in the process of, uh, you know, obviously writing the book, but then there's the next step, right? There's bringing it to market. Yeah, man. And what's that, that experience been like? Um, and having like a physical copy and everything. I was yeah, like, that's I cool, it was right? Be a PDF one. Yeah, we which the, by the way, right the there, guys. How cool is that? And that sure. that um, what what a blessing. You dumbo, it... you know that. Oh yeah, yeah. Wait, <laughs> I'm so used to having one camera to work God, with. God, pretend like you've been here before. This is a this is a book, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, it's fucking dope. Let me tell you about that cover. Um, <laughs> a great review, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read that much of it, but I know it's really, but the writing is amazing. Yeah, maybe you so, can give it to him so he can hold it. So, <laughs> this cover was painted on a five-foot-tall canvas by, oh, wow. by Jesse. Um, and it's actually uh, representative of a vision that I had um, that was the moment in my life where I, I lost my imposter syndrome um, as a musician and as an entertainer. And it was a very significant... Uh, 
uh, culminating moment, and I was in the throes of a psychedelic experience, and I don't typically see things during that. That's not what my MO is on that. But this time, I um, I let myself go, and I didn't have an instrument to play. And you'll see I've got my finger picks on. I keep them on. I had them on then too, man, because that's, that's what I do to keep myself, if, I'm, if I get a little anxious, I can keep myself grounded by playing a little banjo wherever I am. And I was at a concert, and I grabbed a hold of the rail and started playing along with the band with this thing. And I, I closed my eyes. And, uh, and I know this is tangential to what you asked, but we'll get, we'll get to the learning curve. Oh, yeah, um, nice. And I closed my eyes, and I just kind of let my imagination go free, and the colors did the thing that they do when you're, when you're in that mind state, and all of a sudden they, they whooshed together into this double helix of two dragons. And the dragons came together, and they, uh, they met at their heads, and, and at this point their heads combined when they formed this like Mayan goddess. And she looked down at me, and I looked up at her, and I was feeling so grateful. I was like, man, what am I doing here? I'd been given a free ticket to this really great concert by one of my best friends and a musical hero, and I was starting this new band, and I was like, I've been told by close associates that I'm a faker, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm not really... Uh, you, you know that sort of thing uh, people say, and so that's a shitty thing to say. It's, it's not a it's not a true thing, you know. It's it's a projection, but I I took it in and made it a part of who I am. And I looked up at this Mayan goddess lady, and I'm like, am I am I faking it? Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to be a professional musician and have a fun life and 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 play music for people and do this sort of thing like this band is doing for me right now? And this goddess thing looked down at me, and she just started cackle laughing and I was like I'm a pretty religious dude and I knew that like I'd I'd met I've talked with God before in my own way you know maybe I'm personifying my own experience of myself I'm I'm willing to accept all that but I that thing that I was talking to was that God that I knew and it laughed her laughing at me like that I was just like oh man it's only up to me, isn't it? <laughs> I'm the only one who can decide if I'm worthy. Yeah, totally. And so um, when I met Jesse I told her about that, and uh, she decided to paint it. And once I saw it, I was like, well, this would make a beautiful cover. And so it's got this image of this girl playing the mandolin, and I think it's her. But in the, in the book, this, this, if anybody's wondering, this is Laurelyn Milestone. You'll hold it up a little bit more for the... For the uh, I can hold it up a little more, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the little character on there is Laurelyn Milestone. Now, that name is... This is really cool for me, because um, when I made her, I didn't know that she would look like Jessie. But um, I have two moms, um, one, one I was born with and one that I, uh, one that I was lucky enough to, to find along the way. Uh, she found me, one of the two. But, um, and, and my mom's name was, was Laurelyn, and she has since passed away. Um, and my other mom's name is, is Caroline, and we grew up in a neighborhood called Milestone. And so I named the powerful woman character in the book, one of the powerful... Uh, lady leads. I hope that I captured multiple because that was a goal that I had. Um, uh, I named her after my mother's, and then Jesse, and she plays mandolin, um, uh, and she's a luthier um, because the other powerful woman in my life that I look up to is Ari Bozeman, who is my uh, mandolin player, or our, the mandolin player and tiger player, and she's a luthier. So I, I combined all the cool girls I know, and then Jesse accidentally made it look like her in this uh, beautiful unintentional channeling of the cover of the book and um the dragons end up appearing in the book and stuff too so it's all 
that all that all comes together. And so the first real learning curve that I hit was um, in the process of actually putting the book together and taking that six foot canvas and making it into something that could be turned into an eight and a half by five and a half drawing and and finding um, finding everything getting everything together. I had to I had to sequester the aid of Amanda Farish and Jill Michelson who are. Uh, Amanda's a great photographer. Jill plays in a band called Captain Midnight. And uh, together we were able to take Jesse's art and turn it into this beautiful thing. Um, and then um, I took the image that I was given by Jill of the book uh, completed. It was like just this whole cover spread and I posted it online and told people you guys can pre-order this if you want thinking let's have a little bit of support for printing I've been saving money I've been buying bitcoins and you know like I'm 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 positive about the bitcoins but they tanked right when I was about to cash them out and buy my books so I was like oh my god what am I gonna do I could not have anticipated the lesson that I was about to learn, which was how many wonderful supporters I had in this community. We sold in about three days 125 books. Man, that's and, awesome. And so my second learning curve was this, this whole patience thing where I had to I had to get this thing to market. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to get it to market fast because my entire, every person who'd ever, who you know, everybody was getting it and so so I um I I learned a second harsh lesson which was that uh the program that I used to create the book the Google Docs which was wonderful making my my stuff accessible to me everywhere when you transfer files from Google Docs to Word and back and forth and stuff there's some uh uh I'll call them little ghost bits that get in there extra um breaks and line breaks and things like that and so we couldn't just take my text and put it into a uh, an illustrator file and so there was this whole panic where i couldn't get the inside complete and i couldn't find anybody who could figure out how to get it complete and so i had to and i'm like reaching out to all the you know all the graphic designers I know are show poster people. You know, they're, we're not, they're not bookmakers. Like, I don't know any bookmakers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like trying to hire my usual people who do great work. And it's just a conundrum, one thing after another. And eventually I got with Jill who did an excellent job with, I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding. She, uh, she did great. You know, she, she, um, but, uh, we, we, we teamed up and finished it up, but, but I, I ended up having to go through and format everything in Google Docs myself and then use a workaround to trick the computer program because it was such a large file. Um, Google wouldn't let you download it as a PDF. Um, I, I know, right? Um, it's just like... Words! Oh, man. It's, it was... I mean, it's, it was 50,000 of them. Or I something know. It's still like is. That, but oh it, was, it was crazy that I couldn't, I couldn't get it to download. And so I finally found a workaround where you trick it into thinking it's printing and then you can save it as a PDF. And then I had to bounce that back and forth. And I, I learned this, you know, these, this extremely niche skill of using Google Docs to turn a PDF into a printable document um, for a for a 
proper printing company and it it came out and uh so then then i i was able to um i was just gonna kind of guerrilla release it right like i'm whatever i'm i'm a pirate i'll i'll just sell people books i'm not gonna worry about but we had so many so many supporters that i was able to get this isbn number i was able to do everything right and get my my publishing barcode and so now i can sell in stores and uh, Spellsong Universe is, is, is a listed publishing company. Um, so I became a publishing entity by necessity through the process of it. And, and I, I bought um, these barcodes are infinitely cheaper in bulk. It's like 200 for one or 300 for 10. Um, Fucking and, Christ. And it's like wait. Like mute, like barcodes for like EPs or, or CDs are like nothing. Right. It's uh, written media has this whole thing, you know, and and wow. it's that's that's something that I'm experiencing. Would you mind placing that yes, back on thing? That's something that I'm experiencing left and right is uh the the astounding amount of the. Uh, maybe it's wrong to call it gatekeeping, but um, gatekeeping, gatekeeping uh, uh, barriers placed to keep people out of oh, yeah. the industry. Oh, like, yeah, of course. I mean, what what a preventative factor, yeah. uh, such an expensive thing to to have on there. But it was it was much more reasonable for me to buy more. So hopefully, I'll be able to publish other people's books under the umbrella of the Spell Song Universe. Right. But at the very least, I've got um, I've now got this publishing entity with enough. Um, barcodes purchase that I'll be able to do the uh, digital you need a different one for print digital and audio right. and so since I have three books I'll need nine total so I'll have I have those now and I'm a little baby publishing company and so that was my next learning curve and then I worked with uh, another member of Between Bluffs Jared uh, their, their singer Jared to um, copyright it and so I registered everything with the the, the proper channels. The, the so big guys. Yeah. The big guys. So now <laughs> if anybody tries to steal it, they owe me a lot of money just by the nature of the thing. It's now, cool. now, do you have you copywritten music before? Is it a similar experience copywriting yeah. music? Yeah, uh, it's a little more expensive book? to copyright music. Um, but really? um, copyright's this interesting thing, and, and I'm, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I um, but what I learned about it was you know you you automatically have copyright of your material in a, in America. You have it, you know, and that's that's yours. But if you register it, um, you have this automatic ability to collect punitive damages, um, which means that if people use your stuff without permission, they owe you money regardless of whether they made money off of right, it. Which right. if you don't register it with the copyright agencies, you're not guaranteed that sort of stuff. Right. And um, I have my music... Shoot, man! If somebody wants to play my songs, like I hope they play them. Um, this stuff I wanted to copyright because I intend to build uh, video games, uh, merchandise. Hopefully, there will be tabletop gaming it, aspects. It covers all of it, just because of the. Well, I've. Well, I've what did you copyright it under? I copyrighted the the books, uh, the first book, Spell Song. Uh, the no, I mean the like, like like it, I guess like the entity. It's, you know what I mean. Um. Like Star Wars is a movie, but it's also everything. Right, that has to do with that's it. That's a trademark. So that's a trademark, that's a right? Trademark. Yeah, yeah. That's a total. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. And trademarks are infinitely more expensive. Yeah. Um, so we I need, <laughs> I need, I need to trademark stuff. Like we got, we got the tire fire oh, trademark, and that was a that was a blessing because our our um, our first guitar player was able to help with that. We we wouldn't have been able to get it going without that. Um, 
but I I can't afford to do that immediately. And so I can put you in touch with an attorney, bro. We can make something happen. Oh man. It's I, I, like I said, I've got this awesome attorney, buddy. it's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's like 400 bucks. And so as a self-published entity, every single little piece is going into making my, my universe happen. I'm reinvesting into, as soon as I sold enough books to print, I took the profit and bought those maps. And so I'm going to be doing the same thing as we, as we snowball forward and, um, Getting more little fun things for people, you know. Um, Have you um, worked with a marketing or PR firm at all to, to help with just educate, uh, educating the con- consumer? Man, I look forward to it. Um, right now, it's a one man it's a one man operation, kind of intentionally so, um, and 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 that's that's not fair to. Uh, Amanda and Jill, who who did who did great stuff to help get going. So it's it's, it's not a one man operation in that in that not. respect. But but I'm trying to do as much as I can on my own so that I can learn about it. So that when it comes time to hire those other people, I I can speak from a place of experience. Yes, we talked about that earlier. Wearing the hats, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the importance of understanding the different roles. So that way, when it comes time to delegating, you know how to effectively communicate those yeah. things. Yeah, yeah totally. I uh, like the process of shipping 125 books all at once. I uh, was harrowing, man. I mean, my my hand is kind of. I eventually Jesse helped me um, put the spell song universe address on the envelopes and stuff like that. But but I think by putting all that love and intention into each individual one, I learned something about the process to this extent where I'm gonna be able to relate to each member of the team. And that my goal has always been to like since I was a wee little lad to make a business that me and all my friends could work at and make a decent living. And, you know, that, that was one of the things that had originally attracted me to musicianship was the sort of comrade in arms aspect where we're, we're all in business together doing something beautiful. And so yeah. if I could do that with the book feels like it's this whole other tangible thing, you know, in a, in the light of the chaos of what music and a music career became over the last several years, uh, I'm so grateful to have chosen to become an author um, because it's just an it's it it's not subtractive. It's only additive to all of the music. Totally. And it's it's um, it's got some sort of tangibility that I hope comes back for me with music. But I I certainly have um, maybe it's even, maybe I I don't know. I I was before the pandemic. I was obsessively pursuing exclusively music as my one creative outlet and. I'm almost grateful to have been forced to find something else. You know, it's totally. it's pretty cool. It's, you know, we've all I mean, we've we've all had to pivot in one way or another. Hence the podcast here, right? You know, and right. Like, which to for me has been just awesome. Like figuring out this new uh, realm and and you know, like video editing stuff and you know, how do you get content out on the internet and what looks good, what doesn't, just putting your head in, in a different spot. Really, you know, artists are like, whether you're a musician or whatever kind of artist you are, it's just putting your creativity to the te- into the test in other kind of situations, you know? Um, and jumping into it. Because we had no fucking no idea. No fucking idea. <laughs> we were just like, all right, we need a microphone, a camera. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's a lot to it. Now I admire that you pulled it, it off. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, you, you, you know, I, it, again, with uh, like the whole writing a book thing, there's nothing to writing a book. You just, have to write a book yeah you know and and, uh man but that it 
what a cool lesson it is to learn that you can do that. You know, you can pivot. You can find some new way to let all this energy out. Um, you just can't let you can't let let the, let the other shit defeat you. You know, what right? I mean? Right. You have to shift that perspective and realize that hey, this this is not a problem. This is a new opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. That's easier said than done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I know absolutely. we all know that, but I, I agree with it a hundred percent. I'm really excited to read the rest of it because you sent it to us. Monday? Oh, just a couple days Monday. ago. Well, yeah. Sunday, yeah. I uh, yeah. I wish I would have sent it earlier, but I just. It's I don't worry about it. I've just yeah. like I've just been uh, busy. I'm like I'm gonna read this while I'm at work, and so I was doing overtime, and I was like, oh, um, I want to get physical. I'm a physical copy kind of guy. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I would. Yeah. That I'll definitely buy. It. I'm definitely gonna buy a copy for sure. Um, it's like it's ninety four dollars. Ninety four. And that's uh, the friend price. <laughs> so um, okay, so I want to kind of move on to the next segment here we got bottom of the billboard which is a new segment that we've just added um so basically what's going to start happening at the bottom of the billboard is that uh if you've watched the show at all that you know billy and i have a dynamic where we both pretty much hate each other's style of music no i just like good music and yeah and you like well i wish there were i wish there were words i wish there were words i wish there were words for it but they escape me <laughs> so dumpster fire trash it's like a cum compilation of like guitar solos and uh saturday night live yeah it just goes to show how much you misunderstand me and we we don't actually know each other that well i feel like i've always understood you yeah and that's the problem okay you're about as shallow as a puddle so that's my joke that i use on you number one never, uh, never heard it number it's season three so it's it's a he said season it first. Three. Oh, oh so is that the new established that's establishing the thing now yeah. so it's a new season so it's your joke now i got it these fucking rivers run deep bro i'm just saying a you, river yeah no more like a fucking the mariana trench you're you know fucking I mean? damned up dude. okay bro <laughs> <laughs> anyways so what the segment uh so um fuck what was it i was in the middle right of a now. thing you like ruined my whole train of thought oh, basically I recommend a song each week, or Billy recommends a song uh, the next week, however it works. And then we review that song, and then we put it onto a playlist, or we decide whether or not it makes the playlist that we're going to have under the bottom of the bill um, uh, umbrella on Spotify. So, you can so find here's the it thing, there. also on top of it, is uh, I, so I, it's a song that I really like, that I want to be... I want it to uh, to be on the playlist on on the bottom of the, of, of the billboard, mm-hmm. but um, so and then I send it to him to listen to, and we don't talk about it until right now. So I have no idea what you think about it. Yeah, but yeah, all right. Just okay. Want to add that little spice to it? So, uh, what was the name of the song again? Is the name K- of the Rex... song is uh, the name of the artist is Rex Orange County. Yes, Rex, Rex Orange County. And the name of the song is Television Slash. I can't remember the the end of it. What is it? Did I write? Did you write it down? Uh, I, I have it on my phone. I didn't write it down. Man. It's on my phone. Yeah. Uh, actually. It's his number. Chris, you look at uh, Rex, uh, Rex Orange, Orange County. Orange County, yeah. Uh, television and something else. It's slash something else. Like, some, like something like good or something or better. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. So here's what I'll say about the song is that I actually enjoyed the song. It's a good song, it's a right? good song. It's got kind of like an indie rock pop kind of thing it, going like, on. Almost like kind of like Mac Miller a little bit. I'm sorry. Have you heard Have you heard of this, this artist? I don't know this, this artist. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, so. I think you'd like it a lot. Yeah. T-Rex? It's, it's like T-Rex, but it's just Rex. No, T- T-Rex is like the fucking dope ass 
like funk band from like you know. Back oh no, day no, no, like no 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 no! It's Elton just this... John and see my 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 friend says to, my Ari says to do the T Rex thing and she does like some funky thing like the band T Rex. I didn't know that band existed. I thought she was just saying to like. I mean, there's there's a style. <laughs> I would imagine. If that, that's if if that's the like fucking super bass. Yeah, if she's referencing the fucking thing, then that's one thing. But there is a band called T-Rex. No, she's yeah, she, yeah. We, yeah, she was referencing the band. That's how okay. I learned about the band. Gotcha. Like, that's not the band you're talking about. No, 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 no. And it's not really a band. It's just a guy, and like he he's hires. A producer. He, he, yeah, exactly. And, it's, and the, the song was and he's good. Young as fuck, and it just makes me want to kill myself. The, the, uh, the, the song God, was good. Just, so pissed piss me off. I think Can I review the song? I'm or not what? done yet. So I think he's like 20 <laughs> or so or 21. Okay, Oof. great. He's very young. So yeah, but he's. Ta- a talented pr- producer. Talented. I like the uh, some of the you know effects are being used, like some of, some of the synthy stuff. I like the arrangement. I like how it goes into this next song. Um, it's it's a completely different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the lyrics are cheesy as fuck. See, I this... think his voice sounds like a watered down Backstreet Boy person or like uh, something like that. But that's because he, he's 19 when he wrote it. Yeah. He just, what stripe do you have in 19? First off, and then secondly, like, I don't, okay, keep uh, keep going. Yeah, can I finish my review, please? Yes, you, you um, can, but you ruined it. So. so, I ruined it, so. We'll get it, we'll do it at the end. Um, no, There's a couple things I could do without, I'm not like a fan of the distortion on the bass that kind of happens like halfway, or like during the chorus. Um, I think that you don't, I just, I've never been a fan of that effect as, like, as a whole. How are you listening to it? It's a good question. Oh, uh, well, on headphones and in my car, the two, two Oh, modes. no, well, you gotta listen on an iPhone. Mm. <laughs> I okay. That's the yeah. only way to listen to and any music that, nowadays, and everybody it, it, knows that. And if that gives you it's any, e- ki- well, 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 no, no, you don't. It's EQ'd for the iPhone. If that gives you any kind of impl- or any kind of idea you, of, of, of the reason why Billy likes what he likes, is it's because he listens to it on, to it on an <laughs> iPhone speaker. Yo, so. you know, like you are gonna be pandering to no one because that's what most everybody listens to it on. that's gross and i'm joking i didn't listen i don't fucking listen to that shit because that's fucking sounds it's awful it's a gross way to listen to music and it's disrespectful to the artist that oh, created the music uh anyways it's disrespectful to the music. uh it is um <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Fuck, you fucking listen to my, imagine like you walk into a fucking bar and it's like yeah i really like your fucking album it's doing really good it's like i'm listening to it right now it's like fucking listening to it on this iphone speaker can i just say that 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 like like when, like it's just it's it's the worst form of listening to music. It just yeah, it, it degrades the whole thing, you know. Especially the artist had like an intention with the production of the whole thing, right? And you lose all of that in listening it to listening to it on a phone. So that's my whole thing with it. Um, anyways, overall, I think it's a cool tune. I dig it. Um, I, I I listened to it to like a radio, like Spotify radio, based on it afterwards. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I dig the music. I say it makes a playlist. Yeah. So first song on the bottom of the do billboard. We, did you ever find out what the full title of it is, boys? Television slash so for far good. So far good. So Television far good. slash so far good. Yeah. So did, did you, can you see how many plays it's got on Spotify? Uh, it's. I mean, it's not like super up there, but it's definitely not it's on pretty, the radio. But it's. I think it's got over 150 million or something like that. It's pretty, That's a lot of, it's plays. A lot of no, plays. No, it is. It yeah, is. He's very. He's very famous. Yeah. Uh, not famous, but uh, successful. Yeah. Famous, yeah. But yeah, you like it? Yeah, I like it. I'm into it. He's got he's got a couple more albums. A lot of it are like singles and stuff. You like showed that. me stuff in, from him in the past. I, I think you'd really like him too. Yeah, right? if you like uh, if you like uh, <laughs> indie pop music that sounds like but it's like indie, but, but it's more it's more indie <laughs> indie pop. Uh, sorry, it's more like uh, I don't want to say jazzy by any means. And, Definitely and, not that. But when it, when you think of like indie pop or like any like it's very like. Uh, uh, 
like bar chords and just like there's nothing special about what's going on but with his stuff it's like it's got uh key changes like uh cool. a lot of a lot of different things you gotta listen to the music being made by the 19 and 20 year olds man even if you don't like it you gotta listen to oh, it totally you know? yeah like, and i feel like there's this like new wave of of like new pop music that's coming out especially for the younger generation where they're like getting far away from that kind of style and they're getting more into the uh, that that kind of jazzy like more I don't know what to say but it's not just cut and dry like that's cool man Nirvana or whatever but I also agree with you with that his lyrics without a doubt half of them don't even fucking rhyme which is fine but then it's just like what. Like, yeah. Well, you're rhyming sometimes. There you go. He's fucking. He's I doing time. I Tri- Nicholas Cage in a Trey's ADD is kicking in. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but I was gonna say, uh, uh, I totally agree with you. I'm just like, what are you talking about? And then I like looked him up. I'm like, oh, he's 19. Yeah. That's the end of it. I was writing better lyrics than that when I was 19 years old, but Aww, it's fine. Uh, I'm telling Mariana Trench, bro. Loud fucking. I would love to read your poems about. Skateboarding? What Skate- were you doing at 19? <laughs> a lot of drugs. Were you a skateboarder? Uh, when I was in like my, my preteen years. Yeah, I was, I was a skateboarder. Yeah. But 100% is what you're saying. Uh, officially on the very first song on bottom of the billboard is Rex Orange County Television. Yeah. So far good. Yes, nice. we were successful. So with that, far with that good. Yes, yeah, what he's saying. Oh, we're gonna be copyrighted right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but, we're good. but yeah, yeah. So. And here's what I wanted to say from the very beginning. You fucked it up. Why? Because it's gonna be way funnier if I have my view of this song and then i get to hear what you're oh, gonna I fucked say it up. yeah i'm sorry what you're gonna say because the, the likelihood is just like garbage yeah garbage. <laughs> okay next time next time we'll do it. it's our first run of the the, the segment guys yeah. we'll get it right next it's, time you're just gonna so. be bumps in the road but i think it's it's really great uh if you like this this segment let us know we're gonna keep doing it anyways because we are our own fucking man yeah <laughs> we don't fucking listen to anything <laughs> but at the same time i would say uh I'm very, very surprised that number first one is it's on there. Yeah, well, you or maybe ha- maybe you're like, well, we gotta get something on. No, there. no, not at all, not <laughs> so at all. You're a little bit not at all. No, I am very picky about this shit that I like, and so you actually do like it. I, I showed you like something it. that you like. I told you, bro. What the you fuck? you think that I have like this like narrow scope of what I listen to? Like Billy thinks that I, I wake up every day and put on just Charlie Parker. Yeah. he doesn't know who that is specifically, Birdman, but he I thinks that I just listen to Bebop all day. You and don't? I don't. I mean, I don't listen to Bebop hardly ever. To? Nobody would ever guess what I listen to, I don't think. What do you listen to? You gotta guess. Uh, uh, Abraxas, the full album, front and back, every day before you take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with... I have I have uh, one artist in particular that's on my constant rotation. You did say you were excited about that emo festival that's happening in Las Vegas and that your favorite band that was on there was Sum 41. So you no, were, Sum 41's no not on there. That's why I'm not excited So you're like an undergrowth kind of guy? Or? Or? No, I was like so disappointed that my, my skateboarding youth band wasn't on the uh, skateboarding youth band lineup. It's so sad. <laughs> but I think Sum 41 probably doesn't exist anymore. I, I didn't keep up with them after... Uh, you know what I liked about them? They're they're like they evolved with my musical taste. They were all pop punky, then they were a little bit heavier and more aggressive, and then they got like indie folk weird. It was really? it was nice for a coming of age tray. You know, it it really hit me. And then I uh, 
And then I got into uh, the music that I, I like the most, which is hip-hop. I, uh, MF Doom is my favorite artist. That's what I've been listening to nonstop yeah, lately. Yeah, man. I swear I, to God. I, I love MF like Doom. Billy just discovered hip-hop a couple weeks ago. I, 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 so. I swear to God, because I, I just never really gave it a shot, and then I started listening to it, and that's literally all I listen to now for the past like almost man, month. It's so surprising to me is amazing. that he's the best. Yeah. He's, he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. But yeah. I, uh, it's incredibly surprising to me that I found my voice as an entertainer via the band and string band music and things like that because what really really excites me is the lyrical interplay of of, of hip-hop of course, like yeah, it's I mean. just so cool and i it's 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 a little hokey uh to do it one 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 thing i heard at a show one time i was like why why do white boys always want to play rap songs on the banjo and i i that's <laughs> that's me you know i i truly love it but it's the instrument that i can play proficiently and it's the music i love and so I do a lot of, uh, I decided to become a professional musician in the midst of watching The Roots at uh, Swanee at Bear Creek. I had this real, just sort of the same sort of epiphany moment of like, this is it, man. That's the, that is the climax of human achievement. And I want to participate in that particular art form. I got a good story about that show, actually. Tell me. Uh, So I was, uh, uh, I played that show with Lucky Costello, or I'm sorry, that festival with Bear Creek Mm -hmm. at like 12 o'clock on a Saturday, literally the bottomest of any bill. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, uh, uh, I was really, I was so stoked to go see the roots, really just Questlove. Like, I, I, I knew the roots too, but I was like, I get to see like a super famous person. Right. Hey, it was good. And uh, <laughs> so I had backstage passes because I, I played there, right? And so uh, I kept on going to the back of the amphitheater, and they had these like black curtain that you could see through, and obviously there's an opening for the band to go in. And I was just like, was waiting for everybody, and I just snuck in to the to the uh, uh, right behind the set, and like literally, I'm standing as close as I am to you behind Questlove while he's playing. I'm just like, fuck That's yeah! Amazing. By That's the way, so I was cool. hammered, and uh, uh, the stage manager was like, whoa, 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 bro, you can't come back here. I was like, oh yeah, 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 and I left, and then I just waited for like literally no more than two minutes, and I just went right back in there to do it again. That's and so then he cool. kicked me out, and he's like, I know you got to ban everything, man, but if you come back here again, we're kicking you out. I'm like, all right. Questlove is probably the it's so cool just being ultimate, like just under like just uh stu- like I guess student of music I think yeah man so and smart. he's such a patron yeah. of the arts like he really he, is. He, he, it, I I love I love his contribution and and the fact that yeah you know, I I know it's kind of tangential and it's not it's not really I don't know call it what it is but I'm so glad they've got this awesome steady gig on the late show totally. now like they're making they deserve that man I mean they impacted music for generations and generations and generations and now they get to chill and just and make a paycheck and make people happy I look up to their success so much man I, I mean tell, I they're tell, legends I tell Chelsea all the time uh, my girlfriend that that's like my dream gig yeah, like you know, get, be like like a guitar player on The Voice or like you know whatever like in a late night band or something. Uh, probably in the wrong town to to do that, but at the same time, it's like just one of those things. You get to a certain point where you get tired of like the, the road stuff and the grind, and you're just like, man, it'd be cool to be able to do this and with like real players and yeah, man. It. Well, and as I said before, it it, it does it need not be subtractive. It can be additive. You right. know, if you if you've made your albums and you've done your thing and. And now you'd like to add something else to the lexicon of your life, man. I think that's awesome. And I'm, I'm like, you know, it's something that's, 
And in my punk rock youth days, I'd slap me for saying that sort of stuff. But I didn't know any better back then. And now I know what it's like to struggle and to desire a, a home and the opportunity to have a family that I could support. You know, all of that. Man, I I think stability is a beautiful thing, and I don't and 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 the Roots are getting to play music for people, you know, like all over the world in this in this this one little way, you know. But and it it's also exposing people to who they are, and exactly. people are discovering those albums that they've got this legacy of, you know. Exactly. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, man, totally. Um, so let's talk about just kind of your your uh, journey from the beginning man like, sure uh, sure i'm getting a little warm i'm gonna take my wizard hat off my hair look too crazy no it looks perfect bro <laughs> i'm gonna make it look crazy then. Yeah, make it look crazy. <laughs> did you get that at hot topic uh we got that at a thrift store um <laughs> Is it, from it had topic? a spider on it whenever we bought it but we took the spider off um uh so where are you born? You're from Pensacola. You yeah, I'm from Pensacola. I guess that's where you start the story, right? Like, where do I start? Where do I start? Where do I start? So, like, I want to keep it to the to the interesting synopsis, right? But I um, I was I was born to entrepreneurial parents, and so um, my whole upbringing was inundated in that. You know, like start your own business, live, live, uh, find your freedom in that way. But but on the flip side, remember, I have two mothers, and my my biological mom was not financially successful in, in any stretch of the imagination. She was, she was not. And she taught me that money wasn't everything. And so I had this, this one side of my family was just wealth and, and productivity and financial success. And the other side of the family is spirituality and, and sort of love. And, and, and there was love on both sides. I've, I've been blessed to have a loving family. And, um, so, so I, I combined these influences as I'm, as I'm getting older and started to develop my opinions on the world. And, uh, um, it sort of came of age, uh, going to Christian schools and not having very much experience with the outside world until, and, uh, that this, this, my big getting outside of my bubble experience was because of World of Warcraft, which is the ultimate addictive I don't recommend that path for anybody <laughs> but it's my it was my path and I went from being this goofy little Christian schoolboy to learning how to team manage and and do project orientation things like that with 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 groups of humans and I I, I begged my parents please 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 let me go to public school let me get out of this this thing and 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 I did and I took all that knowledge and experience and I I was like Man, when I was in, I was in one of those like indoctrinate your ass Christian schools. Like they'd have like call them sword drills, where you'd like take a Bible and hold it like this, and then you'd have to like, they'd uh, be like say a reference, and you'd have to like find it really quick, and then recite. You know, like we didn't do that, but I went to super Christian school too. Yeah, man. We well Pensacola Christian Academy is where I went, and it's like uh, from from if if they're to be believed, you know, I know they they fed me a lot of propaganda, but apparently they're the flagship for fundamentalist Christian academies across the nation, they would sell their, their book program to schools all across the way. And they were, they were what they were, man. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to salt them, but they, 
the end result of their program is a lot of disturbed human beings. Uh, Did they teach you that the Earth is five thousand years old too? Yeah, yeah. yeah me too. Um, <laughs> I wrote, I wrote a, I got a one hundred A on a paper I wrote in English class that was titled "Evolution: Don't Make Me Laugh." <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, it was my, you know, I, I, I still, I was me, you know, I was a sarcastic little 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 fucker but you know so one of my favorite lines in the beginning of the of the book you've read it if you've read the first chapter is uh um there's a street preacher and he's like yeah, yell, yeah. yelling at people with, and trying to get money yeah. and these thieves are looking at him and the steve dude is like you know like he's no different than me and then the girl is with him well he's like well at least you're not a liar you know like that guy's like um and it's not that i have any problem with as as I've told you guys, I'm I'm super religious, but I I hate the authoritarian, controlling, financially driven uh, church that we see today, and so I I end up being very critical of that in my book. But I uh, I came from that place, this really authoritarian Christian school, and I got out and went into public school at a, at a magnet program. Uh, so it was still really intelligent kids I was around. It was a great atmosphere. I I, I loved it, and I started smoking weed. I um. I uh, I found it while I was smoke, playing World of Warcraft, and it actually helped me quit. And like like young boys do, I started discovering girls, and I was like, oh, I need to get in shape, man. I can't. I gotta start. I gotta start figuring this thing out, man. These things, these girls, woo! Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you know, I um, I left World of Warcraft behind, and started going to to the school where I, where I connected with with this whole next chapter of my world that would be. Me and my fr- me and my friends starting a little. Well, it all started with our after school place. We would hang out, uh, Goal Point, and we had our Goal Point crew. And this was in MySpace days, where if you had a crew, you'd put your little letters behind your name. And, oh yeah. Man, we were we were it. Like we were the cool kids in our world. Uh, you know, you know, our world, not anybody else's. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. Um. I started having these fucking aggressive people over to my parents house you know my parents are pretty cool but my mom didn't want me smoking pot my dad actually got me into smoking pot and that's a whole nother conversation uh um but he he gave someone some pot to to give to me to see if i would try it because i was like weed is bad and i knew my dad smoked and i was just like no (laughs) and i uh but I smoked it when this kid offered it to me, and I, I loved it. If I'm being honest, I haven't stopped smoking since. It's a, it's my, it's my medicine, man. I'm such a fan, and I, I, uh, so I went on from that, and I started having these people over, and I, I never sold weed then. Uh, I refused to because I, I thought it would make me lazy. Um, I was always trying to start little businesses here and there. I started a biodiesel company. I did nothing ever came to fruition, but we, we, we tried, you know, we were, we were doing things and eventually me and me and my mom, we stopped seeing eye to eye. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with my pops. He was a real, he was a real fucker. He was, he was trying to turn us against one another. It's a strange damn thing. What people do when they got millions of dollars and they want to fuck their lives up, right? And that's again, it's a whole story for another time. But uh, but um, me and my mom had this falling out, and so at about fifteen, I was I was trying to finish my science fair project, and I 
I wasn't staying at home. My dad was out of town, and I, I had to break into my own house to finish the science fair project because my mom had locked me out. Now, I didn't understand at the time that I was bringing goons and gangsters to our family home. I didn't think about my little sister, you know. I These were my friends, and they were nice guys. There wasn't anything the matter with them. And, yeah. uh, so anyway, um, boy, we... We had a conflict over that, me and my mom did, and it took us some time to reconcile our relationship after that. And and we have she's she's she we're we're she's probably my closest living family member, um, and I'm so grateful for her. But at the time, uh, we weren't nice to each other, and um, my dad had to come home from work in another state, and he decided that maybe it was time for me to move out. And so at 15, I moved into this warehouse. Um, what? that had a loft apartment that my dad owned. He wasn't using the warehouse at the time, and except for storage. Um, we were in the pool enclosure business, and this warehouse had a big backyard, and I, it was about uh, three miles from my school. So, sure, let's do it. Let's do it. And that was my, my junior year of high school. And, of course, you know, I'm, I'm the guy with the house three miles from school where you can do drugs and drink and party, <laughs> you right. know, we, we had a good time and it grew into this crew and we stopped being this GPK thing and, and became Pensacola's most baked. And, uh, now our, now our, uh, Facebook or no, MySpace had PMB behind it. And we all started wearing green bandanas and it wasn't all goofy kids stuff, but it wasn't, it was what it was. I, I started, we started having these weekly meetings where we would preach. And I had this book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I would use it like a Bible. And we would, we would have sermons and learn and, and grow together, make our business plans. And, and then after the little learning session from whatever book we were learning from, we would go out back and have a little fight club. And we would bare knuckle box in this giant sand pit behind the warehouse. And, and so that happened on Wednesdays. And so it started coinciding with, with this me going to church. I had this church that I really loved. Um, it's Holy Trinity is what they called it at the time. It was an Anglican church. I never thought I'd like an Anglican church. They do all the liturgy and wear the robes and stuff. I, I thought that was all pomp and it, it is all pomp and circumstance, but I ended up having fun with it. it. It was kind of fun to treat it like something sacred. And they weren't being assholes. They were just wearing cool robes and lighting candles. You know, it was fun. Um, so you're not Catholic, right? Not, I'm yeah, not Catholic. Exactly. But uh, that's what's always intrigued me too. It's like, I want to fucking do all that fucking Right, shit. you know? <laughs> it, well, and that's what Anglican is like. Well, we're Protestants. We don't actually think that the Pope is holy, but, or, you know, there is a Pope. That's not a real thing. But we yeah. can still wear robes and all chant together if you're into that. Let's do it. And they're, they're, they were really sweet about it, and they would feed us, all of our friends. I didn't live at home. That was a really good home-cooked meal once a week. And so... It had this weird synergy with our our Fight Club crew, where we would all go to church and then have Fight Club and Jesus, then do gangster stuff and start <laughs> and then we we eventually started selling weed and it <laughs> and then and then it 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 grew to where there was like fifty people with these bandanas and I have all these journals with pyramid hierarchies of stuff fuck, we were doing. Dude. It was your gang. Were you at the top of it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> damn, dude. You fucking gang leader. I, I swear to God, a cool quote that like I... Like fucking some lady, gang When it all split here. up, this this one of my friends came up to me. A, a, we, used in a, I, we used inappropriate languages back then. And this, yeah. this girl was just like, I, 
I just miss being one of the bitches, Trey. When are we going to do that again? <laughs> what a foreign version of life, you know? But, sure. but to us at that time, that, that meant I want to be one of the, you know, I want to be a loving family again. And that was the language that we used to describe it. And it was in its way beautiful and it was so toxic and it, and it culminated eventually, you know, you know, something that's true about me is I've, I've never done cocaine. I actually kind of abhor cocaine, and I, uh, I keep it away from my life as much as I can, partially because of what happened during these days. When those boys started getting into it, you know, my, my mom had a problem with it growing up. You know, if, if your parents end up having a problem with something, you, you grow to dislike it, whatever it is. For me, it was, it was that particular substance, and so I've had to really learn to navigate a world that includes this thing that sure. makes me uncomfortable, um, and I have. Uh, but, um, but at the time... I didn't allow it in the house, and, you know, we were 16, 17, and 18, and these guys were discovering it, and I had six or seven people living with me at that time, big goons, you know, like, we were, we were playing the part, and, uh, I started making rules that they couldn't do it around the house, I started calling them out, because I would be at school, and they would be at, at the warehouse doing God fucking knows what, and I started to... And, and around the same time, I started discovering friends that played music. And, you know, we had always been into hip-hop. We were, we were rappers and stuff. Like, we would do the thing, but I never played. And then my friend DJ would bring his guitar around. And my friend Andrew Kelly would bring his guitar around. And I just found this kinder, gentler side of this world that I had grown to love. And, and I began to set boundaries. And as I set those boundaries, they were violated aggressively. And, boy, my mom was right. Those guys that were just my friends that I kept bringing around the house ended up coming back in while I was gone and smashing the place up, stealing my money, stealing my supplies, and that was kind of the end of my drug smuggling career, you know? I, uh, I learned that, that that was not the way that I needed to be living and that I was, was wasting my time and energy, and I tried to start another crew because that's where we were, you know? That's, <laughs> that's what it was, and we... We were all about Rastafarianism because of my love for for the story of, of Jesus and my love for cannabis. And, you know, I learned as I studied Rastafarianism that it's, it's kind of inappropriate for me as a, as a white dude to claim Rastafarianism because a major function of the religion is the uh, sanctity of the 13th tribe of Judah is the um, Ethiopian. I, I, I may be getting the geographic stuff wrong, but... Um, you're supposed to be black if you're Rastafarian or you're dark skin. You're supposed to be from Africa as the uh, Judaism is like a, a bloodline thing. There's a there's an ap appropriate sort of understanding of culture in Rastafarianism. Gotcha. Where, um, so I, I just eventually was just like, well, I, I shouldn't say I'm a Rasta. So and, and, and I may be wrong in my understanding of that. Different people can interpret the religion different ways. But that's what I gathered from my studies of the life of Halil Selassie and the teachings that came from, from those ideas. So uh, then I just became a Christian who liked the sacrament of cannabis. And then eventually, eventually <laughs> the second, the second crew split up too. Cause you know, it, whatever, it, it wasn't really supposed to be. And uh, I fell more into the church cause those people were still being nice to me. They weren't breaking into my house and smashing shit up. And there was guys <laughs> that had been a part of the, the fight crew who knew me, who were, who were cool and they were a little psychedelic and they weren't as gangster aggressive. They kind of liked that my gangster friends were gone and we started building this new world. And, and then I went to Peru with this church. I, I was playing a lot of poker at the time and I used all my poker winnings to, to pay for this mission trip to Peru. And when I was in Peru, I had one of those 
one of those conversion experiences they tell you about where you where you just feel the spirit flowing through you like that good energy of love and you know something that you didn't know before you know not like a not like a you know two plus two equals three thing but just like a knowledge of the self like a a new relationship with whatever it is that makes makes us go what and why and i love you and i i left peru with that and i decided to quit smoking weed and i uh i tried to pursue the life of a of a of a priest and i studied for a year under what they call diactyl examination you went to seminary i it's pre-seminary i was going to be made a deacon oh i see um and while i'm in the process of this deaconship thing I, i i met a woman and we um we had relations and smoked weed, which was a big deal at the time because I'm trying to be Christian, and, and a fundamental misunderstanding of Christianity is this idea that you're not supposed to ever have sex unless you're married, yep. which I don't, I don't think, I think it's a misunderstanding. Oh, no, it's, it's in there a lot. <laughs> no, it's not. The, it's, we could talk about what that. Do you, what but, do you call it, the uh, uh, sexual immorality? Yeah, they talk, yeah. they talk a lot about that, and that's, I think, an important distinction. I think that's um, uh, uh, without love. I think that... That is true. That's kind of what I think. That's no, just yeah, personal yeah, yeah, yeah. opinion. Um, I think that, I think that's what they were talking about. Um, but uh, I agree. There is a lot of problematic homophobia, especially in the King James version of the Bible. Like, it's total, totally bastardized uh, social control tool. But, um, but anyway, so I, I'm like, these guys are examining me, and as a process of being examined, I'm like examining myself. They're asking all these questions, and I'm like, well, why do I want to be a priest? You know, what am I? I'm, and I get to realize, like, I'm just charismatic. I've been a, a, a gang leader at this point. I've, like, <laughs> I've, I've run teams on World of Warcraft. Oh I've, like, I've, I've helped with the church youth group. You know, what is it that I'm really trying to do? And I'm, like, I'm trying to be in front of people. And I, I didn't think I wanted to be a musician. But I, I remember tickling the piano at, at church and going and, like, figuring it out, like, playing in rhythm and changing. And I didn't know what a one four five was at the time, but I did – you know, C, F, and G, and it sounded like music, and I was like, whoa, and I didn't touch it again, but I ended up leaving the church, and I I went off to college at UCF, and that's where I played my first show. I played bongos with uh, Mario Corey and his band, She the Slut. Uh, <laughs> what a name. Oh, it was such a conundrum. I started out as his manager, you know, I... I I'm a business dude. That's that's how I approach things. I'm like, if I like something, I'm like, let's figure out how to make money off this. Yeah, you know, that's, totally. that's why I like Magic the Gathering so much. I'm like, I can delude myself into believing I'm investing in something. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but uh, I anyways um, so yeah, I uh, I'm trying to manage Mario, and he's just like, I just need a bongo player, man. And I had bongos, and I had rings, and I would like hit them. And I remember this guy came up to me after the show, and he's like, you. He's like, it's beehive of dreads. He's like, it's swollen hands. He's a hand. Like, you are the most timid drummer I've ever heard in my life. And I was just so ashamed. I didn't know that I would, I, I was just trying, you know. I didn't know to be intense. I was trying not to get in the way, you know, because that's what you hear all the time is somebody didn't know what they were doing and they sounded bad. So I figured less is good. And I wasn't wrong, you know. Um. Mario made really cool acoustic music. It didn't really need 
drums at that time you know um now what he's doing is great it does have drums but at the time it wasn't it wasn't what was needed and so i i stopped doing that and then one day he's like you know what i really just want somebody to play harmonica and rap and i'm like i can do that that's like i could probably do that you know i'll figure out how to play harmonica and he gave me his dad's old fucking patchouli tasting ass harmonicas yeah. i don't know why but every <laughs> harmonica that's been in a drawer for 20 years tastes like incense even if there's not incense in the fucking drawer but i learned how to play on those i did i like i spent all summer he went back to jersey and i i like i got to where i was confident and then i i like went hitchhiking and i I like left and I used my harmonicas to like take me across the country and, and with, with the help of, a, of some friends along the way, but mostly hitching rides with our thumb, me and my, my friend Nina, we went from Orlando to by way of Swanee and Pensacola to New Orleans and then to back to Jacksonville through Brunswick and the Hostel in the Forest to New York and then back. We picked up Mario along the way and we're like coming back and I'm like, I've gotten pretty good at the harmonica. It turns out I have an aptitude for this instrument and I'm playing and I'm truly flowing. And then I was like rapping and I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have this whole new skill and this passion for music and excitement. I didn't know what to do with it. And me and Obi, Obuasi, uh, had been playing together, and we... Uh, yeah, what was the name of that band? That's We're that All Gonna time. Die. When I, yeah, exactly. That's when, that's I, when that's we when met. That's when I met you, yeah, yeah. So me and Obi were both dude. like... That show was you know, almost we, 10 years ago. We quote, it was. We quote, <laughs> we quote How High quite often um, with that I Need Money character. It's like, that's... That's me, and then me, <laughs> me and Obi met. And he's like, "Well, shit, me too." I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, how high, but that's that's yeah, course, we, that's yeah. that's me and Obi. So we're like, <laughs> let's fit, let's fucking make some money, and so we go into business together, and we start What's It Records, and we also started We're All Gonna Die, and it started out as our little acoustic duo, and it grew and grew and grew, and we added members, and you know what you do when you first met. We we had a trombone at one point. We had a cello. You know, we, we had a guitar player who played a 12 string with only eight strings on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we were figuring shit out. We were figuring it out. Yeah. And we, we, we played Credence Clearwater and our little songs that we wrote and it was beautiful. Um, I, remember oh, that, I remember that show that we played with you uh, Yeah, forever well, ago and we stayed at Obi's house. Mm-hmm. I lived yeah. there too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was my house. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That was 10 years ago, man. <laughs> I, I, um, I ended up so that ended up being this fuel where we still wanted to put Mario on a pedestal. It was like we had this little crew of this underground Orlando punk rock jam band folk punk scene that we wanted to make a festival for. So so we did. We <coughs> we we had been throwing in my backyard since since I moved to college a little econ winter music festival and it and I was just a minor role in the beginning. I took my I, I came to Orlando with the remnants of my party-throwing gangster crew, and we staffed this first party. And my experience in Orlando started with a little econ rave. And I threw these raves for a few years, and, and so, we're, so we're going back in time a little. And then we catch up, and then me and Obi decide to work together to throw our own little econ with the blessing of Frank Haggadis, the guy who, who invented it. Uh, DJ went by Frankosaurus Fresh, and he... We made it our goal to do something. We didn't know home team existed then. We didn't know this Jacksonville market existed. We just kind of set out to do something special. And, and while we're planning What's It Entertainment, I met Josh Childers, who threw a festival called Bamboo Jambu. And 
being my I don't know shit about fuck self, I'm like, let's go staff his entire festival. I think we can do it. <laughs> so I so I wrote up a little plan and offered to do it and succeeded. And over the course of the weekend, he, he had his own journey to go through, and he ended up leaving property um, with, uh, I guess, me in charge. And I didn't tell anybody that that happened. I just kind of took charge as started paying people started getting you know doing everything that needed to be done and that's where i met spore which yeah. is why i why i know you guys was that the little econ love fez that was the name of it right? little econ came after so this is bamboo jambu okay and then we sorry, took all sorry. of that no it's okay we i met spore at bamboo jambu and uh via this via <laughs> this adventure um we we gathered this energy up and decided, well, let's throw our own event, Little Econ Love Fest. And the Little Econ cool. Alakahatchee River was behind our house, and that's where we all congregated. And, and, and we, had thrown, we had thrown our own versions of that party in our backyard. We threw this big music festival version. It, it um, well, you know, it was one of, the, one of the greatest successes of my life. Not necessarily financially, but it, but it, it, it gave me an opportunity to throw shows for you guys. It, it helped me to get into the position where I was working with Rose and the Red Lion Pub and then eventually in a position where I could hire all of our different bands to come through town and go through these these things. It was it was the stepping stone for my for my whole entire music career. And when it started, I was just the promoter. I didn't I didn't I played a little harmonica and with Obi and stuff like that and I had started playing keyboards. I didn't even play banjo yet. And uh Spore kept berating me about playing with them, and I was so intimidated. Like, me and Joe had become instant best friends, and he was like, why don't you come play with us? And I agreed. And then I, I like, walked up to the stage and said, I'm like, what the, I can't play harmonica with that. <laughs> and I'm just, this wall of Jamtronica sound is coming yeah. at me. I'd never heard a jam band before. All I had heard was my little punk rock buddies and a folk punk guitar player guy, and here I am blown away and then they introduce me to you guys and I'm just like, what is this polished excellence? <laughs> so I'm hearing all of this like tranced out psychedelic rock and roll and so I built a pedal board for my harmonicas and that's kind of the birth of Harmonica Man and I remember Brian Edward, I asked him to take my picture at the first Little Econ and, and did and um, that sort of started my brand, you know? I uh, became the Harmonica guy via... Playing, playing with Spore and things like that, and and I um, it wasn't long after that I found the banjo, um, and I uh, started playing catch up, and I had this huge imposter syndrome. Like, I'm I'm a faker. I gotta fucking earn this. I gotta I gotta get my skill level to the point where I can hang with these guys, cause. You know, you I mean, started late. I was a really late bloomer, but I I put in the work and how and old were you? Twenty four, okay. and I'm and I'm thirty now. So I've been playing banjo for six years, um, seven years now maybe. Um, and it it built, and I ended up I played banjo at the next little econ, and I I started picking up gigs, and and we're all gonna die sort of pittered off as. You know, your first band kind of does, and yeah. and we went our different ways creatively. As and I started to discover my sound, and I, they wanted to do more intense rock stuff, and I was scared of that at the time. Distortion freaked me out. I was like, I just want to make soft, you know, I want to make sweet noises. And then, <laughs> now now I'm like, I've got like three distortion pedals on my banjo. I'm just like, 
<laughs> but those are sweet noises. Yeah, are, man, uh, I know, and that's what I had. I had to learn that, and I and I had my and I came to it uh, to, uh, uh, via my journey. I like I started Harmonica Man in the Sawgrass Band with Mark Bernstein and wrote most of the songs I still play today with Mark, and uh, um, we we had a cool little run of it, and it was that was that was what it was, and. You know, that was that was my band where I started getting paid. And I was taking $200 gigs for a full band and thinking I was the king of the castle. I was like, <laughs> not bad, we're but. getting money. <laughs> I, get money. I didn't know that I was supposed to, to ask for a living wage at the time and that I was participating in the dulling down of our industry. I thought that that's, I was doing a good thing. That's 200 double cheeseburgers, folks. Hey, man, you're not, you're not wrong, but, but truly, man, I mean, the, it's we need, to, we need to catch up with the times, man. Hundred dollars a man has been standard since 1980. Like, Complete bullshit. Your fucking dad said that, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's not. I, I'm <laughs> I think fa- it's a basis like back in the I 80s. I think it's true. So, uh, so <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so it's it it went from that, and then I, and then I um that band sort of fell apart. I I, I had a really rough uh, breakup with a, a partner who our lives were really tied together, and um, it. It brought the band to a close, basically, and around that time is when I started playing with Free Range Strange, uh, Sonny and Timber's band, and I'm too much of a front man to be a good supporting member of an act, is what I learned trying to be in Timber's band. I think about it all the time. One, one, one time, uh, Timber tried to dance with me at a music festival, and I'm not a very good dancer, and he's like, you don't know how to follow or lead, do you? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about dancing, right? So I, um, I didn't, I didn't last as long as I would have liked to. And they're still some of my best friends in the world. Uh, but I had my own music. I needed to make my own way. And through touring with them, I met Riley O'Brien, uh, and we were just and Adrian, Adrian Alexander. We, Riley and I had this psychic chemistry, and Adrian was like all down to keep up with us. But we, we didn't, we didn't. Adrian and, and Riley and I didn't have the same musical goals, and so it eventually blew up Fandango, the band that Adrian actually named, uh, uh, that grew from our, our friendship. I love that band, by the way. Thanks, that man. Was no, no offense or anything, but I, love, I really did love I, that band. you got to see Tire Fire. I don't know if you've seen Tire Fire. I haven't, I haven't. So I, haven't. I, I think that what we do with Tire Fire is a real culmination of the sound that I was blessed to work on with Riley, especially now that we have Dave Garrelot on the drums. Um but but I do believe that what Riley and I achieve uh, together is this. He called it like like the the like heartbeat of the world. Like it's just whatever groove can fit into this. We figured it out and played it together, and we That's we when you were playing at the Snake Church. Yeah, man, we we felt confident, and uh, you didn't get to play that in Orlando. That's all I thought Orlando was because I never played anywhere else. And we played at that that at that church that it was it was a bar, mm-hmm. but on Sundays it was a church. It was so fucking what an interesting weird. Dynamic. But then it was on like Tuesdays. You, yeah, you, you guys, you, you were you played there, right? You played at the St. Matt's Tavern. Played there, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, what, that's what it is. Talking about. Oh, same spot. Snake okay. Church mm-hmm. is what I call it. Oh, I thought that was the every... actual place. I was like, no, no it was no. called St. Matt's Tavern because okay. it was also Reptile Night. Well, um, it's the weirdest we had fucking this... place I've ever been to. Uh, I don't remember the Reptile Night. We had this part, cool but... variety show sort of experience that was Twisted Tuesday that yeah. right. that started uh, at the Red Lion Pub with literal sword swallowing sideshow acts and a lot of fire spinners and stuff and over the years it, it attracted a lot of different people and our friend bob would bring 
he was a snake breeder and he would bring like 20 snakes God damn, um, man. and people would wear them they were our friends they were nice snakes and he would also bring uh mice too Oh, he, so you feed, feed them. the snakes. That's well, I, I, um, it's a great time. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely like some... on a Tuesday, can't fucking beat. No, it was Florida. a really cool party, man. It was, <laughs> no, a it really was, cool it was party. a good place. I'm just, um, so Blue Bop ended up, we, uh, I took on this big crazy thing where I was just like, Let's go to Colorado and tour for two months. And Adrian and, and Riley and I put together a tour and we, being a no-name band, somehow got gigs and played all over, but we had this falling out with Adrian um, along the way, and just didn't see eye to eye, and he was like a street kid guy, so we let him do his street kid thing, uh, for better or for worse, and he stayed in Colorado, and Riley and I ended up having to make a living playing music in the streets of Boulder, and that was, for me, just, that's where I found my voice, that's where I found my style, I had to and we couldn't amplify, and he's on a little drum kit, and so I had to play loud, and I had to sing at the top of my lungs for four to four to six hours a day. Um, and we were making loot, man. I mean, 200, 300 bucks a sit, you know, and having a fun time. We'd go to the Indian buffet. We'd spend our nights in the mountains. Sometimes we'd have to sleep in the car on the side of the road. It was it was a whole thing, you know. Um, Boulder's really pretty, too. I like that. that Boulder's area. a nice town. I want to live in Nederland. Um it's a little city outside of Boulder that oh with a D right yeah Netherland yeah, yeah. they have a they have a Frozen Dead Guy Days there as a music festival they throw uh, centered around a, the the one of the world's leading cryogenic experts is frozen in that city um, wow and he his uh, estate ran out of money to keep him alive so they throw a festival every every year or to keep to keep his. Uh, uh, Body frozen. I was about to say to keep him. I'm like, I don't know if he's alive. He's, I, I'm, I'm sure he's probably. No, he's alive. very dead. Yeah, yeah, he's very dead <laughs> and very cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but anyway, yeah. That that brought us to uh, me and Riley were were flying high and very proud of our sound and and ready to gig. And we decided. Uh, I lost my housing in Orlando. Um, to gentrification, they doubled the price of our rent and remodeled the joint that we were living in i couldn't keep a place all my ob and all my buddies that i had gone to college with had moved off or were touring doing production and and so everyone that i wanted to play music with was in georgia and uh my friend critter and i had talked about putting together a band called tire fire and making stinky nasty fast bluegrass like only we could play it and so we decided to do it. We we moved up there, and, <laughs> and boy, it was like, uh, you know, it's just that it didn't work out the way that we thought it would. It was it took months before uh, um, we we figured everything out, and Critter and I made on good terms, and and Riley and I's relationship really struggled as a result of everything we went through, you know. Um, and so he ended up leaving Georgia, and so Blue Bop just didn't exist anymore after that more or less it still it still exists in our hearts and riley and i have said that we would play together but i don't have the energy to put into it because i'm so passionate about what we started doing with tire fire and we what really got me was the harmonies man i mean as we as we started taking my songs and these brilliant musicians were adding layers and layers to it that i couldn't conceive of on my own i it changed my approach to music it like what used to be fun for me all of a sudden became frustrating and I, I had new goals and new expectations and so um, it molded me and changed changed me as a musician into this to this 
new tool for I, I can sing harmony parts now and I can play perfect time while adding new parts you know I, I won't say per nobody's perfect but you know what I mean I started growing into my own abilities uh alongside these people and and tire fire grew and we started attracting these players like like Ari Bozeman and Sean Hartley and Danny J and and most most recently Dave Garrelot you know we've had the pleasure of playing with Dennis Staddle and things like that and it's like it became this almost super group of everyone I'd ever looked up to playing along on these songs that I wrote. And it, it was just such a dream. I mean, literal dream come true. I would tell that story at shows and we'd all cry. I'd cry. My friends are crying. We're all so happy because it's like, wow, this is it. We did it, you know, and, and the, the dream is living. And then, um, you know, I guess that kind of brings us current to uh, um, where we started the story, which is, all of that happened. We made our album. We released it, and then the pandemic. And so, we sat on that album for about a year, um, kind of unable to gig. We would do things here and there, but it would, it wouldn't end well for us. It would either nobody would come, or one of the band members would would catch COVID, or like. So it was it was, it was what it is what it is. And Tire Fire, sort of sat for a little while. Um, but we still tried to keep it up, you know, and we've been we've been sharpening our sword. And so over that time, you know, Critters left the band uh, and we replaced him with a guitar player named Jack Boynton, who chose to move on from the band. And so um, as I'm sure you guys are aware, you know, I, I myself had to make decisions like, how am I going to make money? You know, do I have enough time to make a product that's quality enough for me to put it out? Like these are questions we started asking ourselves and what is the future of our band? And so we've been morphing in it and growing, but it, it hasn't been all doom and gloom. You know, what I'm seeing happen is this new energy or this new version of our music career where we're taking a look at what's sustainable, what has continuity value. And so we're putting more energy into recording. We're putting more energy into producing video content. We're things like that that are going to help us get out there in a larger sense have, have kind of become where, where my musical journey is at. It's like I'm having gone through these steps to get to where I am, you know, this each step along the way, I feel like I've made compromises in order to fit the mold of what was expected of me at the time, you know? And uh, I think that if if nothing else, having gone through this whole journey and coming out of the other side of the of of what was the major the major conundrum of the pandemic, learning to deal with this as a society and we have our jobs back now and now I'm just fueled with all this energy. It's like almost like mania. Like I'm like since the year started I've like made music video I've learned how to animate. I'm like I'm releasing books. We're just like, it's just like, psh, psh, let's get it. Go, go, go. And so I, I have a lot of excitement for the future of Tire Fire in that respect because, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, until we play a show, I'm not going to say who our new guitar player is. We have somebody playing guitar with us who's passionate about the music and wants to be in the band. And we've got a drummer now, and the sound is just it's everything that I've ever wanted to be able to do. Things that I didn't even know I wanted, and now I. They're all out of Athens. No, no, what a conundrum that no, is. I was for about to say, like, no, uh, half the band's in in the Bay Area, half the band is in Atlanta, and then I'm in Athens. Night. And so it's been a it's been a nightmare to try to keep all that together and to keep that energy going. But we all have so much love and faith in one another, you know, and hope. Like, well, it's not impossible either, right? I mean, like, 
Like oh, bigger, honestly, bigger yeah. bands do like Wolfpack. They all right. in different places. And, and flights from Atlanta to Tampa are like uh, 50 bucks round trip. Yeah. So it's definitely round doable. Trip. It's pretty really? cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. If everybody wants to be on board and you can get, you know, you can produce the vision and sell everybody on that vision, they're, they're down for the ride, then, you know. It's, yeah, I, the happen. tire fire is made up of the most badass human beings I've ever met on this journey of life. Well, how do you how do you rehearse with uh, them? So do we they all go to Tampa or do they go to Atlanta? Yes, um, we do uh, seasonal retreats and we do we do sessions. So we, our original goal, what we did as we were building the band was uh, um, like a a month and a half on, two weeks off sort of idea, and we were we were doing like a week long session two week long tour and then um so it's like three weeks on one week off and then we would we would do these week long sessions either in tampa or at that place where i started writing my book the otg place uh we would go there and just sequester ourselves and um you know it became obsessive i mean we like my, my friends know i would i wouldn't i would like go to go to town in tampa and i wouldn't hang out with anybody i'm just we're just demoing right. writing arranging all of that it 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 honestly was a little too much. Um, I've, I had to take a step back in order to... I'm just now getting back to where I feel like I'm in love with my music again. But it was a little too much. Uh, and then, well, I, maybe my feelings would be different if the world hadn't shut down. But yeah. we kept that rehearsal cycle up and, and started working on uh, different recording s- stuff uh, over the pandemic. Um, Unfortunately, due to band member switches and stuff, we're not we're not releasing that stuff at this time. Maybe maybe eventually as a sort of nostalgia piece. But um, the next album we release, we want to be the actual members of the band sure. currently performing. You know, totally, man, totally. That's an incredible dynamic you guys are able to keep making work, though. You know, and it it would not happen without the literal and I cannot stress this enough the most badass humans on the face of the planet I mean like the he's gotta the, be committed to go I like mean, 300 miles of rehearsal Sean <laughs> Sean changed his whole life man I mean I I think that, that guy is my hero I mean in addition to being being you know like I I try not to say my, my I have so many best friends but I, I love that man he's my brother and like um, you know we both went through a lot moving to Atlanta and he, he moved to Atlanta literally January of 2020. And so he moved his whole life there to start the band and, and then the pandemic happened and, and going through that with him and, and rebuilding our world has been harrowing, man. I'm, I'm so proud to call those folks comrades and they're so amazingly talented. Each, each of them, man, Ari's got this band called the Ain't sisters. Uh, they have oh, yeah. a bunch of music out. That's just so good. I mean, it's it's been a real real cool blessing. I uh I applaud your uh, your ability to pivot in the uh, pandemic situation, man, and like continue to be creative and you know writing the book and and keeping the band going to some extent or other, and like just being able to just you mean we spread out that far and, and like that in itself like during the pandemic like, it would have been I mean, so much easier to just throw in the towel totally right. man it always is right right I mean, but it, we couldn't it's like uh uh man i couldn't do that there's just that that part wasn't ever in the cards you know that uh there's there's that combination of like the creative artist side and then like this entrepreneur side it's always thinking about the next thing mm-hmm. and how, like how do we you know, adapt to the new situation. I think that's something that you have 
it's inspiring, you know. Well, thanks, man. I, 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 I feel the same way. I mean, that's that's part of why I was so excited to come down here because I saw it, I see what you guys do with the podcast, and it's like, that's that's what we gotta do, you know. We're each leaders in our own little worlds, even if it's just for ourselves, you know. And so we have to set our best examples for ourselves, and then hopefully that translates to whatever team you're a part of, you know. Totally. And, and if you can, if you can echo that out into the world beyond that, then like success is guaranteed. Not. Not financial success, but I, in my opinion, that echo is the success. You totally. know, like so. Hell yeah! Awesome. Well, this is probably a good time to move on to unpopular opinions. Absolutely, but like, what a fucking crazy backstory! Bro, I had no idea. Any it's of fun that to shit. tell, man. I I, I, I I look forward to writing the. Autobiography. I can see you as a fucking uh, at the pulpit without a fucking doubt. It, it, it will probably still happen, but it won't. You know, I don't think you said um once <laughs> how i feel about this book it's like uh you know being an author was always my life's life's dream since being a boy i've kept journals and things like that but it wasn't like this i mean i expected to be able to share it with my mother i expected to be a, i i ex- i didn't think that it would be based on music or music theory i i all of these things and so it's like everything i knew would would happen is happening just not the way that i expected and i think the same will happen with the whole pulpit thing you know i i um maybe like retire into it yeah yeah like as a universalist i'll go to church with you i'm no longer i'm no longer christian (laughs) well i no, that's not true start start your own church that's the good money right there right right you broke start a religion so my um my uh i i have ethical qualms with that i probably wouldn't take money for it uh i like what Paul really, really fucked up Christianity, but his idea of being a tent maker so that he didn't have to take money from people to preach, I get a lot out of that. I, um, I think that's a really cool model. Like, if you want to, to talk about religious ideas and stuff as your life, that's beautiful, and I hope that you do something else to make money. <laughs> like, I don't think we should be mixing money and religion, uh, personally. That's one of my favorite... Uh, I'm all the religions now. I'm like, I love them all. One so. of the, the churches that I used <laughs> I mean, to play yeah, for... there's some truth to all of it, right? That one of the churches I used to play for was a Cuban church, and uh, the, uh, the it was Episcopal, Episcopal too. And mm-hmm. it, uh, he was a doctor, a family a physician, full time, and then didn't take a salary to be a. That's see to me. And that's, I was just like so much respect. For that's that. admirable. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, not that there aren't um, uh, uh, pastors that do a lot of, l- yeah, of legitimate work and that deserve to make a living doing what they do. Um, I know that the church lives in this crossover place for a lot of different people, where it's a community center and. And things beyond that, and that it's just it's just a little too complex for me to participate in currently and feel sure. ethically sound. And you would do you know? the, the totally. same sermon twice, once in English and once in Spanish. That's I know, right? Incre- see, like <laughs> that's a amazing. lot of work. I get, and I get go straight back to the fucking that. hospital on Monday. Right, he's the coolest dude ever. Right, and I get that, and that is a lot of work. It's a beautiful thing. It just creates such a conundrum when you're collecting money for that, you know, because you have this incentive to be catchy and fun and interesting and keep people entertained and. And, and while I do believe that being entertaining and fun is a, is a key part of learning, it's just so dangerous when you're, like, you're like exchanging money for people's eternal souls. Like, oh, God. It becomes... It's, 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 <laughs> it's the same, it's the same uh, conundrum that I think that we face in any kind of career because it, it gets real easy to lose focus on what the end result is, right, and what the goal is mm-hmm. of the whole thing. And somebody... Uh, I was asked a question. I was on a podcast uh, on Friday called uh together we, we print with our friends chris richard from spore and alan oh, king uh 
and they they work with they they own Grind Time, uh, which is like a printing company and all that stuff. So check them out. They do all of our merchandise. But um, uh, they asked me the question, what the hardest part about like running a podcast and running a band and you know all the other shit that I've got got going on. Like, what's the hardest part about the whole thing? And I didn't answer it correctly on the on the show, but I thought about it afterwards. And the hardest part is to, I think, not lose focus of what the, the goal is because you get so caught up when you're wearing all these hats in the different details. Well, you know, there's a marketing, there's a PR, there's, you know, what, what's the brand we're trying to push here? Like, like what, what do you want the vision to look like? And then you forget, it's like, you still have to create and you mm-hmm. still have to, even though that's creative too, but that's not like none of, that's just the building that stands on the foundation and the foundation is the art that you create. You know, that so. goes back kind of to something that you, you were talking about earlier, which uh, was just the idea of, man, I just want to be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's all I want to do. I, fucking uh, AIDS. I, uh, it's expensive, and then also you have to have a house or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I don't know that marketing is inherently a part of the artistic personality. You know, oh, in, that part. In, is. In, some, in some ways, it's almost like, I think a lot of artists find it to be uh, almost dissonant with the experience of creation, and I, I don't, I th- thankfully I'm not wired that way. But I feel you on that. No, right? yeah, that's what, that's all he preaches all the time too. Is just like it's a part of being creative, and I totally get Fig- that. It's a, it's a creative thing. It's definitely not sitting in front of a piano. That's why you need that team, though, man. You need yeah, exactly. you need both. Like you gotta have both. It's like we it, got you now. That's hey! so cool. <laughs> Chris Underdahl and Gene O'Neill, shout out to, to running video and sound. Woo! He's got to crushing it, by the way. Gene yesterday, dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's it's crushing it, though. Awesome, though. I love And Chris, this. too. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we also forgot to get the streaming numbers on that song, by the way. We didn't, we never Which got one? That. It was 145 million. 145 million. That's a lot. Chomp change. Yeah. <laughs> just, they're making a living off that one song, just saying. Now, all I'm trying cool. to say is this, is how many people are in America? Like only twice that I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, ultimately there's a if, if it's it, what we talked about off air. You know, it's, it's it's a shift in perspective. Like if you find the creative angle, it can be a fun endeavor. Mm-hmm. It might not be what you're passionate about, but you can still make it interesting for yourself. Right. Organization's super key too. Like I'll I'll find. I have moments where I'm especially inspired to one side of the process, uh, or I'm especially inspired to another side of the process, right. and so like. Keeping, keeping files organized, keeping all of the materials that I need like on hand, ready to go. Like I have a, I have a like. Let's say in the middle of this interview, an inspiration struck. My banjo's right here. You know, like right. because of modern technology, if I need to, if I need to do emailing things like that, I'm able to jump right into that world. And if I've got it all set up correctly, it becomes a much easier tool to use. It totally can quickly become overwhelming. Like like I was talking about with the shipping, I was just like, oh my god, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is too much. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> totally, man. Totally. But yeah, I'm with you 100. I totally, I totally feel that that, that mindset. I don't. I'm just gonna say I don't like it. Yeah, that's Straight why. Up. That's why I, I don't like do it. it, and you don't have to do it. No, right? that's good. I do have to do it. Still that's good with well. everything. Or if I want to like continue being something else, I'm. Not yeah, if you want to build your own brand outside of the, the projects that you're currently yeah, in, yeah, then you yeah. have to work on your own brand for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, all right. So unpopular opinions. Oh, we, let's, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Uh, you can go first. You want, you want me to go first? Yeah. All right. I I don't know if I've said this before, all right? But it's a new season. And I like I like what you're doing with the seasons. It's kind of like 
starting, you know, Star Wars Episode Four, mm-hmm. A New Hope. There's also an, then we gotta have the prequels later. Well, there's also there's, all, there's I have a marketing thing that we can talk about, but, but there's a three. reason why you pick, there's a reason but why three. you have seasons. Why though. does why isn't this because just we've taken breaks one. before? You want to get in this conversation again, or do you want to have an unpopular opinion segment? Okay. I feel I'm here to have a good time. It's my house, and very yeah. attacked right now. What are you now. talking about, bro? We're in a podcast studio. I don't know if you know that. This is a Riverside Rat Den. Not anymore. You, you know got fumigated. That. I did. I got fumigated. I got fumigated, and so no more rats, no more termites. I hate rats. We'll see like, what... I used to like rats. When you have a lot of rats in your house, it is it is an uncomfortable feeling. It was It was funny at first. I will say, but then after like the first like couple months, I was like, "Oh no, yeah. like, <laughs> this is a real problem." What, there's a scene from uh, Parks and Recreation where Chris Pratt, Andy Dwyer, he goes, it's, "There's so many rats out here. It's like a goddamn rat parade every night." <laughs> That's what I was calling it, man. It was ridiculous. Anyways, they're gone for now. I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen one in a long time. But so you don't funny. like the seasons. Huh, the season? Why don't you like the season concept? Seasons of, of I thought that's of, what oh that is at. that isn't even my unpopular opinion, but you you brought it up. What my no, unpopular? You brought it up again. You did bring it up. Yeah, that was your. But you said it was a new season. For I you. did say at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, you talked about it yesterday. You, just you might not right remember now. what we did. What's, what's your unpopular opinion? My unpopular opinion is it. <laughs> it's very unpopular, and I probably am just stupid. But the whole what I was going to say that I might have said this before, and then that's why you brought it up season. Anyways, I'm not trying to say he's right, but like. Write it down. Anyways, uh, uh, it was that uh, uh, nobody uh, really freestyles when they rap. Um, that's huh. that's an incorrect statement. Um, that's you, but then you can then you can go opinion, right? Huh? No, I, I, what I'm trying to say is there's no such. Well, okay, I'll say it in an opinion. Uh, there's no such thing as freestyle rap. So what about yeah. freestyle music though? Like, can you freestyle? That's called improv, and that's what I'm trying to say. You still can't. You, you that's different because it's a learned. I want a skill. I and, want, and and that's not like, called. I, I like to it's practice. It's not called freestyle. Why is it called playing. freestyle? It's yeah, called it's improv. Kind of, right? So improv is what you would call. Because see, what I do when I'm freestyle, the, when I when I call freestyle rapping, like I'll practice combining phenomes, like different parts of words mm-hmm. that fit together, yeah. whether it's absurd or meaningful. You know, you practice that, and then you're you're able to, in a stream of consciousness sort of fashion, combine these associated phenomes, just like a scale or something like that. How is that? Is that word improv? Would that Billy, be a better? No, no, no. Billy doesn't. Billy doesn't learn licks in the piano. He just goes oh. right. So he doesn't get the concept I've of like pulling from the bag and established vocabulary. Right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so th- that's why he doesn't get the concept of freestyle rapping. The idea is when when you're improving, wh- whether you're jamming in a band or whether you're freestyling in in like in a hip hop situation. The idea is that yes, you have a, you have a vocabulary exactly. that you're pulling from. Exactly, correct? but that's the same as, as as a musician. Yes, it's the same thing. But, but why it is it called? But the, the 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 connotation with freestyling is that it's just off the top of the head. That's what it's, it's like. Then also, ever since the I saw Eight level, Mile, he's just coming then, up with that. The, I'm like, oh my god. Then understand the, right, but, the, but everybody speaks a language unless you're a fucking wolf baby. But, but then, and so the whole. Fucking improvisational thing goes out the window because you call it freestyle. Why is it called but freestyle? Then, oh, I'll I'll explain why. Then understand the next element of hip hop being like an extreme subculture. So they might not use the same language that's being used to describe certain things that's that are key. being used who, in one. So thing. what we need to do then? Right. We need who to look wants? at other situations where the word freestyle is used. For example, freestyle BMXing. Yes. Now there's going to be a specific set of things that you can do within freestyle BMXing. 
that's going to be set based upon a vocabulary of movements that are exclusively available to the bike. I agree, but the thing is, the difference between uh, talking, which is basically what rapping is, but Ooh, in a rhythm. No. Hang on, just give me give me a fucking <laughs> second. Obviously, obviously, it's with a rhythm and a, a pentameter and with uh, rhyming uh, and and vocabulary and everything, but it's still just language and talking, right? And I'm not trying to say without a doubt that it's not a skill. It is a fucking learned skill. And that's what I'm trying to say is the connotation with freestyle is it's not improv. Because improv is a learned skill that you do. You are disregarding mm. the element of it. You're, you're disregarding the element of of the subculture. Yeah, yeah. And, I think and, the jargon thing. You got you to honor the language. But it's an unpopular opinion, and you've clearly triggered the both of us. Yeah, so. yeah totally, totally, <laughs> totally. I think it's the coolest fucking thing in the world when anybody does freestyle. Yeah, but at the I same can't time, get away. I can't. I can't in my head not be like, "Hey, fucking man, this that's isn't how, I know you're this just isn't freestyle. you're so far removed from from the culture." And I have a similar. I'm not gonna go into all of it. But I have a similar experience to your experience with like you know the the crowd, like you know the gang thing and all that. Growing up as well, I'm not gonna get into all that. But like when, when you understand the like the deep deep uh separation of that culture from the mainstream or from what from what people understand like the the language is completely different right so words are kind of are kind of like usurped or like they're they're taken and they take on different meanings within a certain realm because there's and but the, and there's an entire reasoning for that it's not just because it's like they don't know what it means it's because they're actually trying to create like like a subliminal way of speaking you understand the, the entire thing is to is to kind of shroud everything in some kind of uh a language that the mainstream won't understand right there's there's an intensity to it it's almost an intentional secrecy and exactly the, the, that. the name of it is a little bit of what i'm trying to say the opinion but really i'm all i'm trying to say is there's a connotation with freestyle rap you that think it's is the very like nature of the are... fact that it's because it's language I'm saying that we everybody can speak a language. You know what I'm trying to say, and that's what they're using so, to do that. So let's flip this around. If freestyling is a thing, are we freestyling right now? Constantly. Totally. That's, okay. all, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Literally, it's literally all I'm trying to say. So I would say that less controversially, as freestyle is just a conversation set to meter and rhyme, but. I still think those distinctions require their own category, or, or they deserve their own category. To but be, to be uh, able to do that, it's a huge fucking skill. That's all I'm trying to say. I, and, then, and then the last little part of it is that I feel like they're like in the bathroom, just like writing down like rhyming dictionary shit. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's definitely, and that's just be me being that. a, a, a yeah. There's an de- but sometimes you'll pull <laughs> wordplay out of the hat. Like it's like the free association of phenomes is so huge. Like yeah. totally. having like like me and me and me and Sean will just toss around words that like that that don't even necessarily relate. They but eventually you'll end up running into these weird connection values. It's kinda like what Victor Wooten talks about in the music lesson, like just grabbing your instrument and playing random notes. Right. Like just see what happens, you know? know. And so I do that a lot with 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 uh that's that's how I describe freestyling and I think it's like so important. But I see what you're saying. I'll so, I'll let you have your little I'm your just, I'm just that, saying it. And it was more of like because 
half of me just doesn't believe that at all. I, and I've just wanted to say something that ruffled your feathers a little bit. You yeah, got, you especially got when you say that you're an MF Doom and everything. You else. got like, us. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big hip hop fan, and I just there's like an now. entire thing that goes with it that I just don't know that you're aware of, and that's why when you say things like that, I'm just like, do you think I would say that at a fucking freestyle rap concert to people like this doesn't exist? <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, this is not but real. But thanks for looking yeah. out for me. Yeah. Next time I'm in the 305 with you. That's right, bro. So uh, I've got a, I've got an unpopular opinion that might might trigger you a little bit. That's, well, but save for the last one. Yeah, because okay. you, you get the last save. Last last so last. my unpopular opinion is that um, capris are dumb. Capri like Capri Suns. Yeah, no, I thought so like too. The man, they're too small. You blow them up and then they squirt water. But you can out make it that. into a cell phone as well, and I'm a big fan of that. Is that what you thought I was talking about? Yes. So you know, like the pants that Steve Honig wears. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's bullshit. I think that's Steve bullshit. has incredible style. If we're talking about Steve's style, then I love whatever pants. That's he's bullshit, man. He just has long fucking legs. You know how fucking expensive it is to get a fucking twenty-eight forty. All I'm saying is that. <laughs> <laughs> all right that was a burn uh, that was a burn on steve and i love sorry. you steve but <laughs> i hate capris i'm just saying i he don't doesn't get... wear capris yes he does i don't think i does. think i don't think he's intentionally wearing capris i do think that he's the... trying to show them that little bit of ankle you know what I'm saying? <sighs> i just i don't like the style if... are capris like a remnant of an era where it was like astounding to reveal the ankle or is it like is it more comfortable to wear capris i don't know for me, they just become high waters. I think is what you call it when dudes are dudes are wearing pants that show their socks. But I, I, you have to build a style around it, really. That's kind of what's what's happened, I think, and I don't, I don't like it. I'm not, you're not for it. Not for it. I, I'm all about, you know, progress moving forward. Fashion is just a world that I don't understand. It does weird me out. And though, capris like... when like I also associated when like when I worked at Sam Ash uh, down in Miami, it was like you had like uh, you used to love when the Brazilians came in because they would come in like they would buy tons of gear because so they could buy it for so cheap uh here and then just you know give them a little fucking bullshit receipt and send it on their way so you have to pay the taxes on it right but like they would but like you could spot them a mile away because they had like these fucking capris up to, this was like style? 10 years ago so weird. and i just didn't i didn't like it back then but now i've noticed over the last couple of years it's become really big in the states too huh. and i'm just like why did this become a thing i just don't like it and i'm not into it i'm i'm a hundred percent that he's just like okay i'm skinny i'm not talking about steve i'm, I'm gonna, talking about capris and you're gonna... stuck on steve right now because <laughs> I, and... I haven't even noticed it until it's like he's just skinny and then he can't find like i said 28 40 that's pretty hard to find okay let's take steve <laughs> out of the equation I hate capris. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. It does creep me out when you see like those like high fashion dudes and they're wearing suits and then they they're like they show their ankle and they have no sock and there's like little bloofers on it. Yeah. And, like, not into it. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like, high watering though. That's not intentional over capris. There. That's like I'm experiencing that currently, but I'm hiding it down here because you yeah. guys are making fun of it. So. <laughs> no, those aren't capris. It's a very specific I know. thing. I know what a capri is. They I'm sew that shit it. together. It's like a whole thing. It's a whole thing, man. I'm I, not into that. I think I'm on your side. You're on my side? Yeah. That's like, the first time. Like what do you think, Jerry? I don't. I don't care, really. You don't I, care? I, you know, here's my thing. I just want to understand, because I don't like whenever my I, I have tight-fitting clothes, and it might be because I'm a little heavier set, but the thought of having my ankle cut off like that, I'm not into it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just got to... There's got to... People don't do things for no reason. You know, you got to... Like, I want to chase it down find out why this style became popular in the first place well fat fashion in the same way that any other art, art artistic endeavor does it's just about pushing the envelope and just trying something new and different yeah. 
and seeing where, where well, you I'm can go with that. it. Uh, I, just it, it's it's a world that I don't understand. You know what I mean? I, it's, Obviously, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I love that you tell Burn. me that, Mister Fucking Burn. Blue Jeans and Flannel on the gig, right? I represent where I'm from. I'm just saying, bro. You can't. I have a Robert Jordan jacket on that I got in a thrift store. And I Air love Jordan your fashion, slides bro. On the I got, got I got J style. slides down here. I'll show them off. Yeah. Ari makes fun of me. I want a sponsorship. I'm always ready to ball. Like, oh, I'm, bro. I'm just saying, like. <laughs> J slides, J slides. You want to get in the bluegrass world? Like, going, going from the jail yard to the fucking. <laughs> nah, but for oh, real. Man. All right, what's your what's your for opinion? real? The prequel trilogy is the best part of the Star Wars story. You know what? Uh, when I was uh, you're thirty, so uh, uh, I'm thirty. We're both thirty two as well. But uh, nineteen ninety nine, Star Wars Episode One came mm-hmm. out. I'm sitting front row, dressed up as Obi Wan Kenobi for Halloween for about. 10 years straight. That's a big time. deal. That's pretty cool. You look like Obi-Wan. You could pull that off. Thank so. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I yeah. look just like you, McGregor. A lot of people <laughs> say that all the time. But uh, uh, I, the, the prequels, because that's because when you were a kid, that's when it, when it came out. I don't think, see, here's the thing, and this is what it gets you down to. You watch it again, like I'm just like, yeah, us, I remember, you know who my favorite no, character it's not was just growing nostalgia. up? Was, it's, was Jar Jar Binks, 100%. That's gross. Have you <laughs> have you seen the fan theory that he's the ultimate Sith Yeah, Lord? the ultimate Sith Lord. Course, yeah. Uh, they, uh, and they, they teased it in some sort of a bit where they gave Jar Jar a red light. He has saber. no idea what you're talking about. I know, it's I know great. who Jar Jar Binks is. Yeah. Everybody knows who Jar Jar Binks is because he's a comic relief character. He yeah. sucks. <laughs> no, there's not. He's Jar Jar's a sweet bad. boy, but truly, I just think I think the story writing in uh, in the prequel trilogy was the best story writing. The acting was the best. What you see in the middle, what you see in the middle trilogy is essentially a thrown together space opera that built the most important world for modern science fantasy. Like I get that, but it was thrown together. Like that story is thrown together. What I see in the last three, what I see in the last three is an attempt to complete what is a very difficult and strewn-out adventure. And I think they did a pretty good job of bringing together elements from across the trilogy to make it a united experience. But that prequel trilogy tells a very cool and complete adventure with a coming-of-age of characters, and then inserting the little Clone Wars in between Episodes 2 and 3. There's some cool parts, for sure. I think like, it's the best. Without a doubt. I think it's the best. I, the, I, was so obsessed. I was so obsessed with Episode 1 when I was a little kid. I was like 10 years old when that came out. And it, like, just... Yeah, I could watch. I could watch it right now and be like, "Yeah, this is good." I watch so and everybody else. Hates double bladed lightsaber, man. Fucking Darth Maul. Whoa, he does know. I, bro, I saw both of them in theaters when they came out. It's not that I don't like Star Wars. I just didn't dive deep into mm-hmm. like the whole thing. But we well, said both. There's three of them. That's how I know you're not a fan. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're right. Episode three. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. My bad. My bad. So here's the thing: is that when I was a kid, I liked it, and then when I grew up and watched. Uh, them as as an adult i was like this has got to be the worst display of acting that ever existed in cinema period across the board and which made me it, it if, if the acting is bad the story has to be real good to sure. get me to buy into to, to the movie and if the story is just not to the point where i'm like hooked the acting is it killed. It That's kills how I feel her. about the middle three. I uh, not not to poop on Mark Hamill. You know, I mean, he's come a long way, but like they were all they were all undercards at totally. the time that it was created. They weren't. It wasn't supposed to succeed. That's why I say it's thrown together. I don't know, man. The set design and the acting for the first three, I think, was pretty on point. That's why you get like time. That's why there's so many memes from it. Those timeless lines that stick with us, you know. But maybe it's all nostalgia. Who knows? 
Who, it's, Who yeah, knows? it's impossible to say. You but can't it, separate nostalgia, you know. I fucking so hate true. the new ones, though. Like, you hate them? Uh, I like, don't hate them. I just the think... last the the last one that came out, I fucking hated. The one before that, I also hated. And then the 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 first one, The Force Awakens, that one was the only one that was like okay. But the other two and all the fucking Kylo was a little baby. He oh was, my god! He, he wasn't when he took off his mask. I was I was I had a hard time. My immersion sort of left a little bit, but I think Star in Wars. in watching it all as a collected story, we see like it was it to me from a writer perspective. I could see why those decisions were made because you're you're ultimately presenting archetypes and right. Um, you know that age bracket was an essential archetype to the to the to what the Star Wars each trilogy has this arc of this age bracket with like the elder teacher, the fool who is the you know the usually the center protagonist of a story, and then like all the supporting characters. And so, I don't know. I've grown to love it. I like. I um. What's I think... the fucking arc of the first three, man? What's the arc of the first three? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, with episode one, two, and three. Anakin and his fall from grace. His his story arc and and the the inherent like, and then you you watch Obi Wan and his his growth into power. I mean, Obi Wan's the sage. Well, really, you got like Qui Gon's the sage, and then he passes the torch to to Obi Wan, and so you have this dual coming of age thing where the leader's coming of age, and then the students coming of age, ultimately leading to the leader having to kill the student. But he doesn't kill him. I mean, yeah. what? That's that's all really classic archetype. The last, yeah, the totally last, the last one's definitely like as an adult. Like the last one's the best one, or the third one. Right? The third one is the best one. It's the best for one, sure. of course. But the, also the worst acted though, right? Uh, I, no, actually, is it Hans like, Christian Anderson. Who, 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 Hayden, Hayden, Hayden Christ- Anderson. Hans Christian Anderson is the author, right? Hayden Christensen is the name of Anakin. Hayden Christensen's <laughs> acting is um, just atrocious. Yeah, it's not my favorite. I I like. I wish that they would like. I saw somebody say like Leonardo DiCaprio would have made a better Anakin, and I like to think of what that world would have been like. Yeah, but I don't think they had the budget for that, did they? Literally. No, that's the <laughs> thing. Are you kidding? Star Wars didn't have the budget. Well, Episode One, Two, and Three probably did. Maybe they did, but maybe Leo's just like not on board because I saw I saw the first three guys. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, we should wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. But bro, this has been so much fun. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, man. Thank you for coming on telling your story what a, what a fucking ride you've had man it's and, been fun and, and it's still going it's still going exactly um, okay so uh, where's where's the Grand Maestro's available you can order the book at uh, www.jtmillermedia.com and I'm that's just ordering it direct from me right. uh, we're available in person at Dragon Star Hobbies in Athens and we're going to be um, releasing via Patreon. Uh, if you, if you want to keep up with the universe, uh, the Facebook Spellsong Universe is going to have all the updates as we come out with fresh material via Patreon or email lists, things like that. As we release digital content, we've got a video game coming up. We've got specialized music for the world coming up. We've got um, uh, events, tabletop games, all sorts of fun things that will be a community that we can get into and build around. So we'll follow you guys keep, on Keep Facebook up with that on Spellsong Universe and jtmillermedia.com. Are you guys using like an audiobook available anywhere yet? or The audiobook's in process, and okay. I wanted to... Uh, 
once we sell this the the first editions, then we'll we'll release the audiobook. I'm working with Adam Horowitz on that uh, down in down in Tampa Bay. So that's, awesome! It's gonna be really cool, and I've got some some pretty awesome special guests that are gonna come on and help make it musical and set some of the ideas that I've described in the book to. Oh, yeah, you gotta have music. Love it, man. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to. Yeah. So I, I won't I won't tease who it is, but some of the most brilliant jazz cats in in the Bay Area have taken an interest in the project, and they're they they. They will do such justice to the ideas that only exist in my brain. Currently. I love it, man. It's so smart. I love the whole fucking thing, man. You got it's the whole it. thing. Um, and Tire Fire, where can we find you guys? We're on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Uh, our first album, AM4200, is, is out. And we have a single, uh, Flight of the Phoenix, that you can find anywhere that music is streamed. Um, please bump it. We would love that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Man. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. All right, man. Well, thank you for being on, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. Adios, muchachos.